Hey, what's up? Welcome to Movie Dumpster Season 4, Episode 2. Today we're talking about Coffee from 1973, directed by Jack Hill. I'm Joe LaScola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor Fuck Heroin McGraw. Welcome to the dumpster. This is the end of your rotten life, you motherfucking dope pusher! Sorry, I didn't have a comedic opening today. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm going to second that one there, Connor. Uh, and a third over here. Fuck heroin. Because uh, that's kind of the crutch of a lot that happens in this movie, unfortunately. I mean, it makes the movie... Uh, the movie happens pretty phenomenally because of it, but holy shit. It's a big theme of these exploitation movies. Not even just black exploitation, but exploitation in general. It usually has to do with, you know, drugs and drug dealers and hookers and, pro- or excuse me, sex workers and, and pimps and things like that. No, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to get it out in the open now. going to get a little personal for a couple seconds. Uh, I detest this this garbage. Um, not the movie. This, this insidious little drug. Um, one of my best friends was killed by it. I think my sisters had four or five friends, uh, die as a result of this stuff. Uh, one of my other friends had her baby sister die from this stuff all in Jersey. Um, uh, I believe Bricktown at some point had what the news was calling a heroin epidemic. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it moved into Tom's river too. It is really, really bad over there. And I just, I hate it. It's just, it's gross and destructive and I detest its existence. Yeah, the area where I live is definitely... I mean, I don't personally uh, have have seen too much of it. Um, my girlfriend definitely has working uh, in her job as a healthcare worker. And uh, it, it's, it's scary shit, man. And it's... This movie doesn't fuck around when they're talking about the impact it has on people that, that uh, take the drug and the people surrounding them. Yeah, it, it fucks... Your life up. I mean, I don't know what else to really say. I mean, it's been around for forever, it seems now, and people just keep on doing it. And the rationale that they, in the, that's given in the movie, I do want to break down when we get to it. But um, but yeah, I haven't had. Fortunately, I haven't had any close friends uh, get taken by it. Um, but I've I've known people. I've known uh, people's brothers and sisters and other friends. Um, that had become rehabilitated and or what have you and um yeah it's it's some terrible ass shit and uh everybody has their reasons but if you're thinking about it don't do it please yeah we we, we can't say that enough for yourself for yourself and and your friends and your family nobody should put themselves uh through that or anybody else through that you know now go take some mushrooms and sit in a colorful room all right smoke some fucking weed you assholes please <laughs> like light up a fucking jaybird hit that bowl boy come to vegas it's literally everywhere <laughs> i can't it is the most surreal thing to just get on the bus and just like look over and goes oh there's the pot store oh look <laughs> there's another one so yeah our highlight uh this evening gentlemen is the wonderful beautiful badass mama herself pam greer Ooh, baby okay um, this woman grew up all over the world because she, she, her father was in the army. So she, she's lived in England and all sorts and, and different places in Europe and things. Uh, but she ended up, uh, landing in Colorado, um, 
and grew up there for most of her life and competed in beauty pageants to pay for her college tuition. No shit. Which is pretty interesting. Did she win all of them? Because she should have. Probably. How do you think? <laughs> and she went to college, so I would assume so. <laughs> this, woman's, this woman's stunning. Oh, my goodness gracious. We'll get to it. But, um... <laughs> You know, she ends up moving to L.A., and uh, she becomes like a board operator for AIP Action International Pictures, or American International Pictures. Uh, Apparently was discovered by Jack Hill while she was working there. So he casts her in um, another subgenre of the exploitation genre, women in prison movies, um, which we should probably tackle at some point. I I would like to do that. Yeah. Oh, but there's not enough of them. There's just, there's so little of them. We can't. (laughs) What, what, pick between the seven of them? Come on, it'd be so hard. You know what? There's a whole (laughs) fucking, dude, have you ever seen the the Prisoner Scorpion flicks? I, I've heard of those. Oh my goodness, we should fucking do. We should tackle some pinky violence and some and some Prisoner Scorpion. Oh, that would be great. No, no joke. And I know we talk about the service all the time. And guess what? We're gonna talk about it again because that's where this movie was was on. Um, if you just scroll like long enough in any section of Tubi that like barely qualifies, you'll just start cutting through a fucking, like, bushes of <laughs> women in prison films. Like, it's just like, come on, what, did you get all of them? Yeah, but th- those good ones right in the pocket there, the, the 70s, man, those are the good ones. So, And not even all of them. <laughs> but, um, sure. <laughs> so Jack Hill is huge. I mean, he's like one of the godfathers of uh, the women in prison exploitation features, okay? Um... And this uh, this guy has done a ton of stuff, including the Big Doll House and the and uh, the Bird Cage and Spider Baby and House of Evil and this, um, the Incredible Invasion, and uh, of course had goes on to do uh, you know Coffee and Foxy Brown and, and Switchblade Sisters and stuff, and and even goes on to write uh, Death Ship, uh, another uh, George Kennedy uh, flick that we should probably cover one day. <laughs> Does he lay in a couch the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like a captain of the, well, not the ghost ship, but the ship that finds the ghost ship. It's basically kind of like, um, well, I guess maybe that's a bad analogy. It's a ghost ship, okay? <laughs> I would say bored now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she so, so she cuts her teeth doing flicks uh, like uh, the big dollhouse and women in cages and black mama, white mama. You know, the women in prison flicks. Um, and just real quick, I want to take a little detour because... She a lot of these flicks were were shot overseas, right? So one of these particular flicks uh, had I forget which one it was, but she was in the Philippines doing it, and she contracted some kind of uh, virus, and it made her lose her hair and go blind, and she almost fucking died. Oh my god! Whoa! It took her an entire year to recover from this. Holy shit! And this is pre uh uh coffee. By the way, she's a badass woman, not only in the movies, but in real life, apparently. Oh, yeah. She went blind, then was like, I got better. <laughs> Wait, man, because it gets even better. So, um, so yeah, then she makes her jump to, to, um, you know, these badass women flicks, uh, where she's usually, you know, she's based, I don't want to, I don't want to say the, the, the woman version of Dolomite, because that's a kind of a disservice to Pam and her characters, but she's, this badass woman who usually is taking out some kind of drug cartel or drug lords or what have you, criminals. Sure. That had wronged her or her family or her loved ones. Classic revenge film Classic stuff. revenge, classic 70s exploitation revenge flicks. So, so yeah, she does like Foxy Brown, Sheba Mama, uh, Friday Foster, things like that. And she worked well into the 90s. Um, but 
after the after black exploitation kind of fell in in the late seventies, early eighties, she kind of was doing more bit part stuff, not like lead stuff, until Quentin Tarantino uh grabs her in the 90s for Jackie Brown, and then there's sort of this resurgence again for Pam Greer, and this newfound appreciation for her, um, because, uh, you know, she, she ends up, I think she's nominated for an Emmy for that, for that, uh, movie, I believe. She should have been. Yeah. She's great in it. Oh, she's fantastic, dude. I'll say it again, I said it in our last episode, more or less, that I, that, that is still one of my favorite uh, Tarantino films, and I just don't hear enough people talking about it, and it's a fucking shame. Absolutely. I think most people forget that it is a Quentin Tarantino movie, because when I hear people, like, list off films kind of, in, like, sequentially, I don't think this ever comes up. No. Rarely, at least in my experience. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just jumping it a little bit ahead, but like in the latter part of the 2000s, um, so after she hits her resurgence and what have you, she, um, I mean, unfortunately she does Pluto Nash in there somewhere, but <laughs> Mama, uh, Mama Nash, I forgot. Listen, she's the best part of that movie. Yeah, I, I pushed that one out of my brain too, Connor. <laughs> uh, I, f- I felt so bad she's in that, but... um. Shame on you, Eddie Murphy. Shame on you. I was about to say as we got into this, welcome to the MDU Pam Greer, but for better or worse, she's all she's already here. She's already been here, so what we're doing is taking a look back at the at the the lore book of Pam's. You know what I mean? Uh happier times. We'll just do what the WWE does, their Hall of Fame, where you can induct someone and you can induct someone again and call it a new <laughs> induction by inducting <laughs> a group. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, no, Triple H, yeah, Triple H is already in, but now we're inducting D-Generation X. It's a different thing altogether. Well, wait until Evolution gets inducted. Get him in there a third time. Fuck it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> induct Evolution is three fucking rings. Yeah. <laughs> so in the later part of the 2000s, um, she finds herself playing the first live-action version of Amanda Waller on Smallville. Oh, really? Wow. Connor's head must be fucking spinning off of his neck. This, fu- it's like a haunt. It just, the, <laughs> like the ghost of this show has chosen me as like its tormentee, and I don't know why. You're you're like the unwilling arbiter. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's more like fucking Ebenezer Scrooge, and like it's just sustained three ghosts over and over. It's like, I'm Smallville's past. I'm Smallville's. <laughs> I'm Small season seven through ten. <laughs> Yikes. She's also dated some other pretty famous people, and I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit because some some of these are interesting. Uh, she dra- she dated Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for a little while, but before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and like cha- and then converted to uh, to, uh, to Muslim, and he- she was with him while he was in the middle of that process, and he basically gave her the ultimatum, like, yeah, you're going to convert to Muslim, and you're going to be this, and then you're going to be my wife, and you have to do this right now when we have to get married, and she's basically like, fuck you, and just, and he ended up marrying somebody else, like, the same day. Ugh. Wow. That's a shame. I, you know what? She made the right choice. I agree. She, but here's the, also, the the other thing, too. She also gets mixed up. She, well, mm, maybe not mixed up is the right word, because I'm sure these guys were good guys at some point. They just had super awful addictive personalities uh, because she dates uh, Freddie Prinze, the the comedian. Yeah, my girlfriend was telling me that earlier because she had looked this up. I was like, whoa, really? Yeah, and she ended up having to leave him because his, his drug abuse and like mental stability and things like that. And goes right to another guy who has a drug problem and mental instability because she then she starts dating Richard Pryor. Oh. 
Here's the fucked up thing. So she was having like health problems and they couldn't figure it out. And she was getting, she went to the gynecologist or something and, uh, they found out that she had a buildup of cocaine on her cervix that was like threat. That, I, I don't know if it was life threatening, but it was definitely not good for her health. Let's put it that way. And they said it was probably attributed to the fact that, uh, Richard Pryor had put cocaine on his dick. So like, I guess he would last longer or whatever. And he would like, fuck Pam Greer with a dick coated in cocaine instead of just using a condom. And then she was like, yeah, you're going to fucking kill me. Go fuck yourself. And then that's it. That is insane. Is that not fuck? I read that. I was like, I I, I was like, I know that's super personal. I mean, but it is public information. I, I, it's just something I had to say because like, it's fucking insane. I am just like picturing how that went down. Like Richard Pryor stripping down. She's waiting to have him just get on top of her. And he's like, hold on a second, honey. <laughs> he pulls out a fucking vial and just sprinkles it on there. Like, what? I have no idea, dude. That's a visual. And I wanted just to mention that for a couple of reasons. One, because it's fucking bonkers. And two, in, 80, in 1988, Pam is diagnosed with uh, stage four cervical cancer. Ooh. Fuck. And she fucking beats it. Like the badass bitch she is, she beats it. Oh, yeah. Which is incredible. Um, I mean, she's already almost died once, uh, from getting, you know what I mean? And then to have that happen. <laughs> from getting fucked by Richard Pryor, apparently. Well, well, even before that, again, like I said, in the Philippines. Oh, right, yeah. That's her karmic reward for dealing with Richard Pryor doing that shit to her, is, is beating cancer. I think so. Yeah, I would hope. Not only has she beaten all these, all these, uh, life tribulations, but... She's uh she's also has a she also has a doctorate in science and humane uh letters. Huh. And she founded the Pam Greer Community Garden and Educational Center with the multi multicultural Western Heritage Museum. Uh which basically focuses on like organic farming and and sustainability and things like that. Hmm. So that's pretty fucking cool. That's interesting. I'm loving her more and more every minute, Joe. I right <laughs> as you're as you're going down this uh, history of the woman, I'm like, wow, she really is fucking amazing, isn't she? She's fucking phenomenal. But let's put that fucking needle back real quick because <laughs> Whoa, needle. Well, the, I'm talking about the rec like a record player. Put that fucking needle back. Let I know, I know. <laughs> Not only is she the first woman, but the first black woman to lead an action film. And it all kicked off with the film we're talking about today. Talking about coffee, baby. And it's sweet as chocolate. Let me tell you something. Uh, this movie, I, I had never actually heard of it before we uh, talked about doing it. You know, of course, I've heard of Foxy Brown and uh, a lot of her other movies. Like I said, Jackie Brown's one that always comes to mind. But uh, I'm amazed that uh, I don't again don't hear more about this. This is the grandmama of the of that sub subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that did it. This is the one that started that. I've seen uh, I've seen imagery associated with this movie, and I'm pretty sure I've had friends drop this movie's name in front of me, but I've never seen it until today. Uh, it's fantastic. And uh, do either of you gentlemen want to plot crunch this real quick? Ah, uh, sure. So the movie is about uh, coffee played by Pam Greer who has a sister who gets hooked on uh, heroin by these uh, drug pushers and junkies uh, in, in her neighborhood and just kind of goes after them because she's just she wants revenge for what they did to her sister. And she kind of goes down the line of uh, bad guys and just takes them out one by one. And uh, there's just a series of things that happen in the process as she gets her revenge. 
And uh, that that's pretty much the movie, more or less. Uh, yeah, more or less. She's also a nurse. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, one of the characters that the Punisher is actually inspired by and has nothing to do with any current day shit stains who might run around with his logo on them. <laughs> Yes, I was gonna bring that up. It's Coffee Castle, baby. Ooh, yeah. This is this is where that character is originated from. That's where he draws inspiration from. And if you co-opt his logo for your insidious desires, please jump into a volcano. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go go right ahead and go fuck yourself there? And by the way, just P.S. If you're using the Punisher logo for nefarious purposes such as that, you don't get the Punisher. <laughs> right. Any version of it. You, you, you deserve to be kneecapped by the Punisher. Let's just hope it's not the uh, discipliner because he's not going to get a goddamn thing done. No. Oh, he won't make it up the driveway. No. Um, <laughs> and then we'll have we'll just have Dolph like, ride a fucking remote control car up the fucking driveway with a very aggressively worded letter on it. Hey, can you stop that or what? Stop the bullshit. That's my skull. That's not on my shirt. <laughs> Oops. Anyway. Let's anyway. <laughs> this, this movie just starts. It just starts. It just throws you right in. Yeah, I thought I was missing something. I, I had to rewind it. I was like, oh, okay. It yeah, doesn't it like it just hits you all of a sudden with like a big ruckus club, and then yes. um this man with a very very funny hairpiece <laughs> thrown right into it, dude. Um, and there's like this junkie that's like uh going into this club, and he gets like this drug dealer uh whose name's Sugar Man, um played by Morris Buchanan. This guy's a trip. He he's like. The junkie comes and he's like, yeah, boss. He's like, ah, I got another woman for you outside that really wants to meet you. She said she'll do anything. And he's like, huh. He's like, I already got a bunch of women with me. What the hell would I want that? He's like, well, she's in your car. And he's like, in my fucking car. <laughs> that That's that's why he gives a shit. He's like, I brought you some tail, man. He's like, the fucking, look over there. I got a bunch of tail. What are you talking about? He's like, well, once you see her, you're not going to care. He's like, all right, bring me to her. And he's right. So they go out to the car, and she's sitting in the back seat. And the second this man sees her, he's like, oh, baby. He's like, all right. Let's be honest. The second we all see her, we're like, okay. Sure. No, absolutely. I'm listening to Daniel Baldwin in this case, baby. Get in that fucking car. <laughs> you're dolphin diving in. Oh, yeah. Pam Greer would fucking... Wipe the floors with Daniel Paul. No, I know. Oh, my. She, she'd be putting a bolt between his I, eyes. I can't. No, I would just want to see her beat the fuck out of him. Oh, man. Break a fucking tequila bottle over his head, please. Like the way she, she uh, uh, scraps some people in this movie, I think he would come out like just like a purple lump. <laughs> he looked like Joe Petto at the end of Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. Just a lump on the ground. With a few fucking pieces gone and holes in him, dude, for sure. But this guy immediately is, like, feeling her up. And, you know, he's ready to go in the back seat more or less. Or just about and she's like well i gotta get my fix first come on he's like all right take me to my home well they go to the fucking junkie's apartment um and this is like part of the her her character right like she seduces these men um to 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 open them up uh, to, to to lower their their guard right yeah it's a honeypot situation yeah it's a honeypot situation she's like a knockout and um and yeah, so they so they go to this junkie's apartment. I, I kind of love that, that she just is like, you know what? If these scumbags are just going to fall all over me, all right, maybe I'll fuck them, maybe I won't. But at the end of the day... They're gonna they're gonna get tricked by me because they're so they're they're thinking with their dick and not their brain. And uh, I just I kind of love that idea that she just does that and just like kind of comes out on top almost every time. Uses it against them, yeah, for sure. Here's a great way to get people to not associate with the Punisher anymore: have him fuck his way into criminal uh, headquarters, <laughs> and then he guns down everybody. <laughs> And then those kinds of people won't want to associate with them. Could you imagine Frank Castle seducing one of his targets? I kind of love the idea. Hey, Jigsaw, you're looking pretty handsome today. What are you... Like a low-cut skull logo shirt? Like, Get in my car. 
It's got assless chaps on to get their attention. <laughs> but it's got to be Dolph. That's the only one I oh, want. Oh, of course. In the MDU, it's always it's Dolph. It's always Dolph. Um, <laughs> let me ask you guys a question real quick. Do you think Quentin Tarantino saw this movie before? A hundred percent. I mean, he's talked about how this director is like the uh, Howard Hughes or some shit of uh, black exploitation. Like he loves this kind of stuff. Quentin Tarantino hates movies. He's never seen this before. What are you talking? About? I was being facetious, and that's because this whole oh, okay. opening credit. <laughs> she, she says something to. Uh, she says something to Sugar Daddy. Uh, and she's like, she's like, oh, you know, you really are a big man or whatever. Let's go. And then it cuts and fucking kick up the the coffee theme song. Coffee is the color. With the title, and then it's just all these credits over, like, this car driving. That that seems to be a theme with these movies, and, I, and I'm 100% into it. You mean, uh, you mean in Django Unchained, not only did he take a title from something else, but the theme song just goes, Django! Well, that's the original theme song from Django, like Franco Nero's Django. I did, I, wow, I didn't know he lifted that, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's pretty sweet, because that fucking song rules, man. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was really honing in on the fact that it's, like, out the, the... The front windshield, just like Death Proof and stuff like that. Anyway. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've been desensitized that shot now. I didn't even notice it. I, I'm I'm very thankful for Tarantino for putting stuff like that into the, in you know, under a microscope and putting it in front of the public again. And I like it. No, me too. Even if he's not the greatest person in the world, I am appreciative of that. Sure. I, I, I think, I don't think he's truly harmful as a human being. I think he's just a hyperbolic weirdo who says the wrong thing. All, All the, time. the time. Yeah, yeah, just like Terry Gilliam. And doesn't know when to just shut the fuck up for five seconds. Um, also, like, that, the window thing, like, when I'm, like, being desensitized to it, like, he's done it so many times, and it done, he, it's so effective, you, I don't notice it anymore. Also, I saw it done in The Raid during a fucking car chase. And when I, like, when it was played back to me, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe how fuck they fucking did this. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, dude is cooking heroin over the stove. And uh, they're basically trying to settle in, and he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, let's fuck or whatever. And she's like, nah, yeah, give me my stuff. And he's like, god damn it. He's like, would you cook that up already? He's like, what are you making a fucking souffle in there? <laughs> right, the junkie in the other room while they're just getting it on in his bed. Man, this fucking, this pulls no punches. She's like, hey, why don't, you know what? Why don't you go turn out the light? So <laughs> Sugar Daddy gets up and fucking turns out the light. He turns around, and boom. <laughs> Comes whooping out. Yeah, a sawed off. She has a Mad Max double barrel. And she she's just like, this is the end of the line, motherfucking dope pusher. And she sh blows his fucking head off. Yeah. Yeah, she gives him a, uh, uh, what do we want to go with? You want to go with Colony? She gives him a prowler or she gives him a B, a, a, a maniac. A, a maniac, yeah, both <laughs> Savini, so whatever you want. I mean, I think they, I think this might predate. So really, uh, she gave him a fucking, uh, Coffee. Yes, yeah, so and this this shot is entirely different because they cut away from the like the proverbial money shot before you see anything. But you, the effect is still, uh, it's still there. I don't want to spoil something that happens later, but in case we forget to bring it up, they show the the, the actual money shot later in a flashback while she's thinking about it, and it's brutal. Yeah, they show it from the front later, but here they show it, and you see it. Pop. Oh, yeah, the whole back of the head blow up. For a second, and then it cuts. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, junkie in the other room's like, oh, fuck! And she comes in with the gun trained on him, and she's like, he didn't see it coming, so it was easy. 
you're seeing it coming, so it's a little hard. And this guy's shitting his pants. Oh, but she says, you're gonna see, you see it's coming, and you better believe it's coming. And he's like, I didn't right. fucking do anything. And he's like, remember Larabelle Coffee? Because that's her little sister. Apparently, right. this is one of the guys that got her hooked on um, heroin, this poor girl. I think she, is, she ends up being like 11 or something like that. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that. 11 or 12? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she fucking makes, she, she, first she tries to get this junkie to like dope himself up again, like OD and he refuses. So she takes the needle and fucking stabs this motherfucker <laughs> and pumps him full of heroin and he dies. Oh yeah. A fully loaded syringe. Oh yeah. For sure. And then, and then, yeah, we cut to the hospital. <laughs> to this surgery gone wrong it looks like uh, yeah also these surgeons drove me insane because i get the so that the 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 little there's a mini conflict in the scene where she shows up to work and she's late um i guess the like one of the surgical assistants before her drops the instrument which is hey if you don't know surgery that's congratulations that's now a useless instrument you have to go get a new one and you don't have a lot of time um but, uh, like, they're all, like, she gets there, and she comes in, and she drops the instrument, too, and he's like, ah, get, get, damn it, coffee, get out of here. <laughs> this, this guy's such an asshole. I mean, to be fair, the guy on the table has a massive chest wound, and he's bleeding yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, maybe if you weren't all, like, trying to make some kind of human pyramid over the corner over there, you're so close together, like, give each other a fucking space. You might not have this problem. This doctor is just walking around this, uh, this fucking surgical room just yelling at people, not even doing his job. You can't even get I don't even know why he yells at coffee. He's just like, I got the fuck out of here. He's like, fine, just, just, just drop the shit. Get the fuck out of here. Well, I think like Connor said, she also dropped something because she's so tired because she's been up for God knows how long. And then she had to go to work after she just killed two people. She was killing those fucking drug dealers, man. Yeah. And uh, so she she leaves the room. And, you know, honestly, I think that guy's just so over the top because he had his one scene in the movie and he was trying to make it count. It is. It does. It does unintentionally make him look like a very poor doctor because it pans out. And this guy is like convulsing on the fucking table. And there's a big, giant, gaping wound. And this guy. Is just, <laughs> That's what just I'm just saying. Big, right. He's just big arms like, God, you're also terrible at this. Yeah. He's one of the doctors that removed fucking Belial from Dwayne. <laughs> Eating his fucking gross sandwich. <laughs> ah, just put it in this basket or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we go to the waiting room and we're introduced to uh, these two cops uh, that that come in and they're actually asking about the junkie that was brought in. We don't we don't ever actually find out if he died. It's pretty heavily implied he does though. Oh yeah, well they say that um uh well we're into, one of the cops is uh, Carter played by William Elliot who was yes. uh, Doctor Leopold in Night of the Lepus. We were just talking about that off air. Oh shit! Really? <laughs> and he basically explains to Coffee because he knows Coffee and apparently they have a back uh, a backstory where they've dated and stuff, but they're they're good friends. Um and. He tells her he's like he's like oh yeah this fucking junkie uh killed his dealer and then OD'd that's in like straight up he's like you you know anything about this case <laughs> and she thinks that he's onto her for a second yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like I know who it is and she's like who and he's like the mob and she's like oh yeah yeah whatever you say there yeah, Carter it was totally them one hundred percent. Yeah, he's like, why are you so shaky? She's like, ah, oh, I'm just tired. You want some coffee? <laughs> because there's like a coffee pot set up right there. Yeah, dude, she's all strung out. Uh, and we also meet this guy's partner. I think his name is McKinney. Uh, yeah, he's the other cop. Uh, I think he comes back. Does he? Is that the same? That's got to be the same guy from later. That is the main piece of shit cop that is in on what's going on in the movie. We'll get to his fucking ass. <laughs> that no loyalty having son of a bitch. <laughs> McHenry, excuse me, McHenry. McHenry, yeah, he gets a good. Anyway, 
we also find out, because this guy, you know, like Joe said, they used to have a thing together, Carter and Coffee. Uh, he, he's kind of trying to sweet talk her a little bit. He obviously uh, was not the one that ended the relationship based on the way this conversation's going. And she's just like, you know, uh, I'm with somebody else now. I'm sorry, like, you're a nice guy, but, uh, you know, it didn't work out. Um, and she's dating this... Uh, He's going to be a congressman, we find out, or he's trying to run for Congress, but he's currently a councilman, this guy, uh, Howard uh, Howard Brunswick. Uh, and she's going to meet him at a club after work. So I, I guess she's just not sleeping today. She's on like a 24-hour uh, uh, run here. The adrenaline must just be kicking in big time. Is that why they call it? Is that why they call her coffee? Maybe. She's, she's drinking so much. She's, she's just, just drinking so much. The only way she could stay awake. Wait, that's actually, that's fucking awesome, actually. <laughs> She never stops. Very creative. Because <laughs> she's just, she's great. Anyway, um, sorry, I keep gushing over this woman. It's going to happen this whole episode. Um, <laughs> she takes Carter to go see her sister. This is the first time we, well, the first and the last time we actually see her, like, in person. And the rest is, like, flashback kind of stuff. Um, but she take, she's in some infirmary, or is that the right word? Infirmary? Uh, it's like a rehab it's, facility. Uh, it's, it's like a... Some kind of rehabilitation ward. It's a re. Excuse me. It's a rehabilitation ward, um, and we come to find out this girl is like eleven or twelve, um, and Coffee goes to see her and she basically tells Carter. I think Carter knows the score, but she, or she reiterates the fact that like, you know, she was giving her sister money to go to school. And, like, do dance and some other stuff and not to get mixed up in drugs and all that shit uh, like her other brother and sister. And come to find out, she was paying the bills to live and then buying junk on the side to um, to, to, to do dope. Well, they don't even say that. You come to find out that the brother, I think she even says, ended up spending all the money on drugs and then it just kind of ended up affecting the, the the sister yeah she caved because they kept leaning on her because coffee kept sending right. her money exactly exactly so she they, they knew that she was getting a lot of money so that they could you know support the habit and now she's like basically brain dead from this yeah she's all fucked up they like i think they i think she i want to say she od'd and she was revived but she's still in like a state where she's not fully rehabilitated she looks like she's in a moderate state of catatonia yeah she's just kind of like the two shots we see of her she's not emoting she's just staring into space uh she's also a very tiny human being yeah unless she's just being rehabilitated and going through like uh withdrawal and i mean i don't know i mean the point is that she's in a very bad way and coffee wants fucking revenge it's a bad way yeah and and my big takeaway from this was that um the 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 shot emphasis is that like coffee walks up to the bed and then like they get a, they focus on Carter who turns around to like not look at this moment as it happens and he starts to come unglued for a second. I was like, oh, this movie is swinging for the fucking fences. I mean, it's very it's very serious. Yes, and then on the way home, she's kind of like asking him, like, hey, you know, if somebody did that to one of your family members, wouldn't you want to kill them? And he's like, yeah, I kind of would. You're right, man. She gives off some red flags. <laughs> Well, well, and then he's like, he's like, well, you can't just go around killing them. I mean, you go to, you know, it's not them that's that's doing it. Like the, these little drug dealers, it's like some other big cartel guy and some guy, some Turkish farmer, or whatever. She's like, well, why can't we just fucking kill them all? Fuck them. And he's like, what? And she's like, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're asking a cop. I know, I know, you you guys were together before and and you're on good terms, but maybe this isn't the person that you turn to about your murder scheme. Yeah. 
this poor guy. Ooh, man. So, so she, so he goes to drop her off at her apartment, and there is a car there waiting for her to get picked up uh, by the councilman uh, Howard and, uh, to go to like some club that he just bought. A club with uh, topless dancers, and I gotta say, not that it really fucking matters, but I had to laugh because this woman dancing, she's shaking her ass, and it's one of the flattest things I've ever seen. She's got a Hank Hill ass, man. <laughs> where, where's the ass? Thank <laughs> you. Connor knows what I'm talking about. I tell you what, my my ass is as flat as a washboard. <laughs> That's all I can think of. That old pancake tush. I don't. I don't want none if you ain't got buns, hon. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no. But uh, Howard's sitting there with his associate. I don't know if we ever actually get a name for this guy. Uh, we find out much later. Uh, who he is, but he's basically this Italian guy that uh, he just happens to be friends with. Man, I was getting some Final Justice vibes off all these fucking people. Um, oh, me too. It is a collection of, like, I don't want to say, they weren't Dick Tracy villains, because, like, a lot of vigilante films have this, like, gathering of, like, ugly, pocked face, these, like, you know, crater face villains. Um, and in this case, we have, like, two creepy white guys. One has a fucking eye patch. <laughs> this fucking, this boardwalk empire motherfucker. Oh, my God. The other one looks just like him, but without an eye patch, just like a receding hairline. And then we have our, like, oh, what is this guy? for? He's Spanish, I think? I, I thought he was Italian, but I could see Spanish. Wait, wait, which which guy? The guy at the table? Yeah. That's Ruben, and he's the chief of police. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, I must have missed that line. They, they, all, they all look like someone that, like, El Diabolic would beat up. Oh, yeah. Or like James Bond would shoot at like they looked like some fucking 60s 70s ass villains (laughs) well we get our we get our first glimpse into like the shady shit that Howard's doing as a councilman like with the mob and working with the cops do we want to just kind of talk about that now do you think that would make the rest of this easier you want to hold off on that I think we can get most of it out of the way I mean sure I feel like we have to talk about this a little bit and then when we get to certain characters, we can bring them in and be like, he's working for Sure, him. sure. But Howard, Howard the councilman, and Ruben, the police chief, are in cahoots with the drug dealers that had fucked with Coffee's sister and is supplying the drugs in, the, in that part of the city. And they're connected to the bigger drug lord, which she also has her target set on. She doesn't know this yet, and we kind of get an inkling here. Yeah, th- you you kind of know from the get-go that something about Howard doesn't smell right, but y- you don't necessarily put your finger on it until about the halfway point of the film. I, I didn't like the, uh, the, the first impression of him because... When he has sunglasses on, he looks too much like Jim Jones, and I didn't trust him at all. <laughs> he's just a crooked piece of shit, and like just the way he talks to this guy Ruben, he's like, "Yeah, I like my excitement, you know, you know, cut with three parts of water, a ratio, or whatever." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're talking about heroin, dude." Oh yeah, and- you're right. <laughs> shit, wasn't even thinking about that, but you're right. I guess if I was really paying attention, I would have picked up on it right away. But yeah, he's just, he's just they're you know they're dealing in in shady shit, so um, so in walks uh, uh coffee. Yes, and uh, she sits down with them, and this is kind of important for later uh, that she meets this police chief uh, in the process of going on this date with Howard. And uh, the only other thing that I, I don't know if we're gonna go into it again later, but it is a minor plot point is this guy with the fucking. The miss with, with the one eye with the glasses. Yeah, Mr. Eye Patch. His eye patch. Uh, he never gets his picture taken, and they have this part where this couple's getting their picture taken by one of the uh, waitresses. And he's in it. And he, he fucking chases this woman down into like the back room and puts a knife to her tit, and he goes, "I'm gonna cut it off unless you give me the film." And she does. And then we never see her again. One of many uh, 
This movie has a lot of uh, topless women, by the way. Oh, yeah. it's Okay, so that scene is there to signify the fact that this guy is a ghost, right? Like, right. He, he, he's... He's a hitman for somebody, but we don't know exactly who yet or who he's working for. But he's obviously in cahoots with these two cats, and they know him because he's hanging out at the bar. Exactly. His name's Oliva, and he's played by John Parak, and I'm just going to call him Mr. Eyepatch from now on. Yeah, Eyepatch. Sounds good to me. No offense, Tony. <laughs> uh, recover. We hope you recover soon. So we find out Howard has just bought the club, and he's running for Congress, and he's making a deal with the chief, and Coffee's like, oh, what kind? And he's just like, don't worry about it, bye. <laughs> she has this funny line. She's like, I've never screwed a congressman before. And then we oh, slam yes. cut to them having sex at his beach house. And they're fucking... That guy stands up, he's like, legend has it, fuckface. Good night. <laughs> Well, he walks over to the bar, and Woody's like, hey, yeah, how would you like your cocktail? Get out of here, fuckface. Okay, so, so yeah, there's a there's a sex scene. Nothing as egregious as uh, Dolomite or anything like that. Sure. And again, this is not even the same kind of fucking movie as P.D. Wheatstraw or any of the Dolomite movies. This is completely played f- straight as a drama, by the way. Oh, yeah. In fact, the only times I laughed was when, like... I don't want to downplay certain events in this movie, but like th- some of the things were so shocking that I just started to chuckle because I just did, that was the only thing I could do at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. One of those exclamations of like, holy shit, I can't believe that just happened. Um, or like there's some ADR like during some sequences that just got uh, that that's kind of funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So they're having sex and I'm thinking as a viewer, like, hey, she already knows the score. Same. But there's actually this touching moment where, you know, she he's like, I love you, and and, and he loves, and she says, she doesn't say that she loves him, but she's kind of has strong feelings for him. I mean, she's basically like, I love you being inside me, so it's like close enough. Well, she says she likes being his woman, and blah, blah, right, blah, right, right. and she's upset because she has to go back to work and stuff, but she does have very strong feelings for this guy. But, the, like, the thing that kind of, like, tips you off a little bit here is she's like, oh, we should go away to Hawaii again. And he's like, ah, he's like, I got to focus on the campaign. Yeah. She's like, we should go to the mountain. We should go to Acapulco or some shit. He's like, yeah, we can do whatever after the thing. So she takes a glass of wine and pours it on his dick and sucks it like you do. <laughs> she learned that one from Richard Pryor. <laughs> yeah, I think she did. <laughs> Uh, it's like a baked Alaska, dude. Cry, cry, Pryor would be like, what is this shit? Where, where's all the cocaine? <laughs> Sorry, it just popped in my head. I had to say it. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. It just caught me off guard, and now I'm thinking about it anyway. um, So we go back to uh, the ho- we go to the hospital, and she's kind of like, I guess she just got to her shift, and then she's like kind of sitting there collecting herself. Um, and some fucking weirdo just, like, walks up to her car and starts, like, reaching into it? Is this guy gonna rape this woman? Like, he, like, he's trying, he, like, reaches into the car and, like, grabs her. He's like, hey, come on, I can help you or something. And thank goodness Officer Carter is there to fucking smack this piece of shit. He's like, oh, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, my wife's inside. It's like, what? Um, the 70s were fucking terrifying it seems because oh yeah especially if you were a woman these people it seems like these people were just kind of out and about Two, like there's a sequence later on where uh uh, coffee's picked up by someone in a car and i keep thinking about stuff like this and i'm just like man no wonder why serial killers had a fucking ball in these two decades like dude all all i kept thinking about was like all the stuff with jeffrey dahmer and stuff and i'm like jesus or not jeffrey dahmer uh ted bundy i kept thinking about and i'm like god damn like 
that is some scary shit because you're absolutely right. Like, that's how it was. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. And if you want to go deep dive into that, go go knock yourself out. Um, but it's the same decade. Well, so. yeah, it's just like I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody, but like just how it was at the time. No. And just watching it on film now, especially after like years departed and people have commented already. It's like, God, why did we do this? I mean, think about this, guys. We are almost 50 years removed from this film. Exactly. Which is insane to me. I know. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. It's like it's crazy to put into words. No, but you're totally right, and even at that time, too, this was super empowering for the women because shit like that was happening, and this was like, you you know, you want to go take self-defense classes or, yeah. you know, and stand up to these motherfuckers because fuck them. But Carter talks to her, and he can tell she's feeling down. He says, you know, why don't you come back to my place? He's like, I make the best coffee in town, and I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, so... Did she just get off of work and she's done? Or she just, like, said, fuck it, I'm not going to work. Sure, I'll have a coffee card or fuck it. I love the idea of someone asking a woman named Coffee to come back to his house to drink coffee because he makes the best coffee in town. Well, she sprung that gourmet shit on him, man. This is literally the Bonnie situation from Pulp Fiction. Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> because Bonnie's a nurse. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, exactly. They're having, yeah, he makes, you know, Jimmy has the best coffee anyway. Uh, yeah, you're 100% right now that you that you say that, yeah. So while, while they're having coffee and stuff, he, uh, Carter gets a, he gets a call from McHenry, and in so many words, he didn't, he turns down an offer by the mob to put to get put in the pocket because now uh, his partner is a part of the crime ring and he's getting paid off by the drug dealers. This this Vittori guy or Vitroni, excuse me, Vitroni. And he keeps saying to Coffee, like up to this point in the film, like kind of mentioning this offhandedly that some of these cops are crooked and are trying to work with these gangsters. And he tells you, he's like, yeah, they tried calling me again. He's like, I'm just not going to do this shit. He's like, I'll lock them all up. I don't care. Even, really, just, I mean, it's topical because, like, even then, yeah. there was all this corruption, and there's still, like, good cops on the force that really want to, like, change shit. And he talks about there's other good cops on the force, and, like, we just need more help from the people to sort out the bad ones and the support from them. Yeah, but unfortunately, his partner just fucking sends Sig Haig. Oh, yeah. Uh, after him to beat the shit out of him. Hey, what's up, Sid? R.I.P. Dude, he is. Uh, yeah, that was one. Of, that was him under one of the hoods. Oh, it sure was. He's the guy. Well, we'll get to it in a second. Yeah, I totally missed it. So, without skipping a fucking beat, they put the hit out on fucking Carter and Sid Haig and the other and and fucking Joe Don Baker go to his house. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It's not Joe Don Baker. Might as well <laughs> no, be. You should have just. You shouldn't have said anything. You just ran with that. Just Joe Don Baker under the fucking hat. It's some other good old boy in a ten gallon hat. Anyway, it's Tex. It was Tex before Robot Jocks. Yeah, <laughs> this is what he was doing. That was his past life. Yeah. Um, before the bomb. Anyway. Uh, so they go, they fucking break this guy's door down, literally, like, off the hinges, like, put a hole in it, like, they fucking bust in, like, Jason Voorhees, and, um, they assault this man with baseball bats, and it's a pretty intense scene, and I was kind of squirming because I was like, this man is just gonna get fucking brained on his living room floor. Oh, I thought he was toast, um, but, and... Whilst it is intense, like this is where the ADR uh, comes in that I thought was uh, like, okay, because like cause one, you hear like they 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 double over baseball bat sound, so it's like, boom, 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 and he's going, oh, ah, hey, oh, ah, ah. Hit, hitting off that bone, but uh, coffee fucking wastes no time, dude. She's fucking taking vases and smashing them over fucking people's heads and bottles and shit. 
Um, but she ends up getting fucking uh, sucker punched and um, dude gets hit with a bat again. But before they run off, Sid Haig stops to rip her dress open and touch her boobs and then leaves. He's like, he's obviously trying to rape her. He's like, I'm just going to do this real quick. And the other guy's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. What are you even doing? And it's like the whole movie. I mean, I don't want to go deep into this, but it's a major thing that comes up a lot in this film. The racism aspect of it. Yeah. Um, again, this is the 70s. They're they're obviously trying to put a light on how fucked up this stuff was uh, back then. This also, it, it leans into a lot of like... Um, uh, racially related sexual assault i guess yes not only racial uh sexual assault but like racism from like not even from white people right like that's what's even weirder too to see and um i mean it's it's from a few people but um a majority of it is from like the main the main guy vituri and sid haig to to be honest excuse me i keep saying vituri uh uh, vitroni ah yes patronus i got it uh (laughs) expellum vitronus Cocainus Vitronus? There you go, yeah. It is a theme throughout the film, but I bring it up here specifically because Sid's character throughout is just one of the most racist people in the movie, but he has some, like, weird thing for fucking coffee, and I, I just don't get that shit at all. I, he must look, He must have looked so different that I did. he was invisible to me the entire time. Because he's a tall, skinny, buff, handsome... Well, maybe not handsome, but, you know. You, re- you re- remove the beard, and I'm like, who's that guy? <laughs> I had no idea who I was looking at. But yeah, after he he attempts that, he just they leave, and uh, basically we we cut to the hospital and Carter. He's he's all fucking strung up like uh, Devin Sawa in Idle Hands. He's got fucking casts <laughs> on every uh, ligament, and apparently he's got major brain damage. He has brain damage. He's also appropriately sedated. Um, whereas Devin Sawa was just like awake and probably in incredible pain. <laughs> To be fair, that movie is more of a comedy, and this is pretty fucking serious throughout. Devin Sawa should have been dead. <laughs> yeah. Poor Carter looks up, and it says, I'm under your bed, like, written in blood <laughs> on the ceiling. Yeah, it's Sid Haig. He, look, he looks around, and he's like, do I have the wrong bed? <laughs> Devin Sawa's under there, man. Look out. Oh, my. Okay, I just looked up fucking Sid Haig in this movie, and now that I'm seeing who it was, holy shit, I thought he was someone else Entirely. Like, he looks so different. Wait a second. Hold the fucking phone. You did not know which character Sid Haig was? Dude, it looks just like him, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. Because, I like, my most of my memories of Sid Haig are him in bald, not just bald, with stark gray beard. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and also Captain Spaulding makeup on. Yes, like, that's what, it, because that's that. that like his body of work in the last few years has been so prevalent to me and he did a shit ton of it like that's my image of him i can't possibly imagine him as a young man it's strange to me too because like i didn't grow up knowing who sid sid haig was and like some of my first exposure to that was house of a thousand corpses exactly sure so i always associate him as like a fat southern man with like a southern drawl yeah no definitely but he's from cali yeah to see him like so fit and like with with the other accent and actually I mean he is a great actor but I'm just saying but like a totally totally different character. Well, he much like Pam Greer, he cut his teeth in a lot of these black exploitation films. Yeah, that and uh, uh you know his his other big one is uh, Spider Baby also written and directed by Jack Hill. Right. <laughs> Which side note, I have not seen that film. Uh but my dad watched it and like a couple months ago he was telling me about it and it sounds fucking insane. So 
Sid Haig was in the sequel to one of the movies that we watched. Uh, that is a notorious piece of shit. Uh, he is in House of the Dead 2, and he plays a ridiculously aged up Curian for no fucking reason. <laughs> wow. Yep. I kind of want to watch that now. Yeah, it was made for sci-fi, and apparently it's not terrible. Isn't he in that second remake of... Um... Night of the Living Dead? He, uh, yeah, he is, I think. You're right. Yeah, he is. It was like House of the Dead. I'm not House of the Dead. Uh, Night of the Living Dead 3D. Underrated actor. He's such, he's so good. And he's such a piece of shit in this movie, but he's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Carter's all, all, you know, held, you know, strung up. And, uh, Coffee, I guess she doesn't really know that the cops were involved yet, but maybe she has an inkling. But they come in and are like, yeah, whoever did this, we'd love to find him and just beat the shit out of him. It's like, okay, that's a little bit, uh, you want to beat the shit out of yourselves? Okay, sure. Yeah, she puts it together here because, like, the tear runs down her face and she, like, listens in on the conversation and she's like, oh, that's right. He was talking to his partner that night and she kind of puts it together that since he refused, you know, they went to go take him out. Yeah, officer bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. So then she kind of continues her vigilante uh, run, uh, but now for different reasons. Like, yeah, she wanted to go after these people as revenge for what they essentially did to her sister, but now she's got a second reason to do it because they just fucking took out her good friend. Now, here's the thing. Um, She knows that there's a bigger person in the works here. Right. But she has to go through, like, a lower-level drug lord who's still a big drug lord, but, like, not as big as as the main uh, guy, as we find out. Exactly. Um, so she goes to see um, this trick, uh, Priscilla, played by Carol Locatell. Um, did either of you gentlemen recognize who this was? Uh, no. Eat your fucking stew! Oh! <laughs> Get the hell out of here. It is Ethel from Friday Five, baby. Holy shit. Oh, my lord. <laughs> Eat your fucking slap. I'm going to make the argument then, again, this is uh, the movie Dumpster Universe, guys, that uh, that is the same fucking person. I think so. That She fucking, yeah, she quit the game and then uh, moved out to the middle of the woods, had a fucking stupid son, and um, gets killed by uh, Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Not even Jason. Look, she's, she's in witness protection, okay? That's what happened. <laughs> is that what it was, you think? Changed her accent and everything? Yeah. Yeah, I, God, when she fucking turns around, she's like, would you shut the fuck up? <laughs> she's probably my favorite part about a movie I fucking hate. I know you hate it. It's a good one, though. It sucks. <laughs> well, she's a piece of shit in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. She's uh, she's all fucked up. So it turns out that this woman, Priscilla, used to be the main squeeze of uh, King George, this, this big... Uh, drug dealer and coffee goes there because she knows that and the reason she knows that is because she was brought in uh priscilla was brought into uh the hospital with a huge cut down the side of her face from king george and i guess she sewed her up and talked to her and found that out so now with that information she goes to fucking shake her down and i think it's it's both sad but hilarious at the same time to me how this woman's like you know, Coffee says, hey, are you using again? She's like, ah, just a little, but I'm not addicted. And this entire scene, more or less, other than a mint she eats, she is just hitting cocaine the entire time she's talking to Coffee. So she's asking uh, this woman about, okay, so King George is involved. What about this other guy? And she won't tell her. She's like, oh, he'll kill me. He'll kill me. And she pulls a fucking knife on Coffee. 
And and Pam Greer's like, okay, you want to threaten me with a weapon? All right, we could two could play that game. She goes, okay, bitch. <laughs> breaks a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> she breaks a fucking bottle and hops on top of this woman and is like, I'm gonna fucking cut you down the other side of your face unless you tell me where the fucking shit is. Yeah. <laughs> woman shits herself. And then one of my favorite things in the movie happens. Um, cause so uh, this woman keeps referring to when I got with Harriet. Um. Uh, things got better. She keeps saying Harriet. There's no Harriet in the building. And then Harriet enters the building in a shot that makes her look like Jason Voorhees. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's apparently her new pimp. Yeah. Doesn't she kick the fucking door in? Well, Priscilla does give her the information first. And then she hears Harriet coming and she starts yelling, Harriet! Harriet! Help me! <laughs> this giant woman kicks the door open. And she's like, who's in here? Oh, man. They fucking start running around this god. It's like Tom and Jerry in this fucking thing. Because they're jumping over beds and smashing fucking plates and tables. I love it because Coffee's like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> because she's like half the size of this woman. And she just fucking runs. She would have got a fucking spanking now. And she's not trying to kill them. They're they're just kind of uh, accessories to everything going on. I love that she has this smirk on her face when she's running down the stairs and she looks back because she knows Priscilla's gonna fucking get it hard oh, from this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, Harriet's like, I left for 30 minutes and this happened. Like, you're about to get it, lady. And you were balling some other bitch. Oh, and by the way, the piece of information she finds out is that King George keeps his stash of shit under his fireplace ashes. So there's like a trap door under the ashes of his fireplace in his uh, flat or penthouse whatever you want to call it she also does get the information about Petroni from her at you know that at, at bottle point uh that he he's a sicko and he's gonna make you fucking crawl on your hands and knees and he's gonna spit on you that's how he gets off Ugh. yeah because she asked him she asked him what he's into because she's nieces seduce this fucking guy to get close to him by herself and uh that's kind of where we're going from here she's gonna try to get in with uh king george at his I guess near his house. I, I'm not totally sure about this. It kind of looks like a hotel pool that she's hanging out with, waiting for this guy to walk up. It looked like a hotel to me, or some kind of club, like like a like a, uh, probably, a so- probably a social club, a country club or something. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I fucking love this guy's intro to the film. He gets his own theme song, even. They call him Sergeant Reed from RoboCop. <laughs> hey, Murphy, where the fuck you been? You got your hand blown off by Red from that 70s show. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Leland? Where'd he go? You want to see my fucking driver's license? <laughs> Miguel Ferrara's gonna fix you good, King George. Um, but yeah, he, wa- he, he walks up to coffee, and now we have two movies in a row of... The main character doing a very bad Jamaican accent and just constantly saying Mon so you get it. Um, just real quick, his name's Robert Doki, by the way. Uh King George. Uh he's great in this. He's really good. And yeah, like like uh like Sean was saying, we we, we pull up uh on Pam and my goodness, I needed to jump in that pool because I was so hot. Uh, <laughs> Pam is blaming in this scene, my goodness. Yeah, she's a very good looking woman. But she's of course again, you know, playing into the her sexuality and really just getting this guy hook, line, and sinker that she wants to work for him, and uh, he falls for it easy. Yeah, and she and again, like Sean said, she puts on this whole Jamaican front that kind of just dissolves. Yeah, <laughs> a third of the way through the, her her conquest, a self alleged uh, like Jamaican royalty or something or like socialite. Yeah, she's like a queen. She says or something over there. 
Be- because because Vittori is like into right foreign women, uh, uh, debutantes and shit. Right, you know? right. God, these these villains are appropriately skin crawling. Like I hate all of them. I feel like they. Oh I feel yeah. Like whenever they touch, they leave grime like afterwards. Like the worst kind of scum. These are the dudes. Throughout the whole movie, they're like, I'm not a bad guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that kind of dude. Meanwhile, they all talk like this, and one of them has an eye patch. <laughs> yeah, lest we forget that he uh, sliced a woman's face. Yeah, I, I will say, like, despite how villainous they make King George seem, uh, they do a real good job of making you feel real bad for him at some point. Oh, yeah. He was about the only one I did, and then I remembered what he actually was doing. I was like, ah, fuck him. We'll get to that. Because yeah, because I agree. I want yeah. I want to talk in depth about. The, I want to talk in depth about like the two minutes that happens prior to that because I thought it was like super expertly done. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree, and I, I think it needed to be done for you to feel the way that you do. So so here we're in King George's fucking penthouse now, and um, it it there's a bunch of uh, sex workers hanging out. Uh, one chick is getting her back worked on because she has too much sex on her back or whatever. I. Yeah, that was weird. She had a very obvious, like, lesion or scar on her back, probably from someone hitting her. I don't know how that has to do with you having too much sex on your back, but okay. No, it's it's probably a bed sore. It probably just has to do with contact. Oh, yeah. You know what? Think, yeah, because you can see the spinal, the, like, the spine rubbing. Yes. Anyway, she's getting tended to by Leslie McRae, who plays Cindy, who is Cleopatra in Death Race 2000. No shit. Yep. I feel like there's a real subtle thing here that they never kind of return to where those two are together. That was my read on it, at least. And, you know, it's not uncommon for people to kiss each other on the cheek, I don't think. But sure. Um, but yeah, the, the the main point here is that uh, King George comes in with uh, not coffee, but Mystique, her, her undercover name she gives. The exotic uh, princess from Jamaica. And uh, we are quickly introduced to the idea that he is going to, you know, give her a little test run, take her over to the casting couch. <laughs> And uh, he, sure is. he goes in like towards his bedroom and his his squeeze, his girlfriend's there, Meg. Played by Linda Haynes, by the way, from Human Experiments and Rolling Thunder. Sorry, I just wanted to note that. Those are the two other people that like actually have done notable things after this. No, absolutely, because I would have never known that. <laughs> but she's like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad you're back, King George. Uh, or, re- or rather, she's like, oh, I'm so glad to be back. You know, she was out of town, and he's like, oh. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're supposed to be here tonight. Like, he's clearly just trying to get his dick wet and wants nothing to do with her, and she is immediately like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> she's like, she's like, hi, honey. He's like, hello. You're, you're here. <laughs> you sure are. Can you get out of here? You're ruining my fun. Hi, honey, I'm here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> There's a party going on, so he's like, why don't you just go downstairs? Did anybody get some serious, uh, what's her name, Julia Stiles vibes from this woman? No. No, but I could kind of see it now that you say it. I don't think so. I got a vibe that I couldn't like quite put my finger on it, who she reminded me of, but it certainly wasn't Julia Stiles. I mean, I don't think it's a one-to-one, but I could definitely see the resemblance that, you, that you're talking about for sure. Um, so then he, he tells her to fuck off like Joe was just saying, and he takes Pam into the other room, and she strips down. And then, of course, I, I was noting this to my girlfriend at the time when I was watching it. I was like, yeah, we get the full nude shot of, of Pam Greer's side boob in her ass. And we don't see, not that I want to see, uh, you know, Sergeant Reed's dick, but it would have at least been equal at that point. Oh, you got a little bump going. It's almost there. <sighs> 
I guess. I just, that that always irks me. I know maybe I'm in the minority on that, but it's like, come on, dude, why can't I see both? Not that I want to see both, but equal. We see Howard's ass later, or earlier. Oh, okay, fair enough. I think it almost, I don't know if it still applies, but I'm pretty sure, like, it, it, they, uh, I heard it as put on, of all places, the Jason Goes to Hell commentary, is that they phrase it as, like, pickle is fine, but angry pickle's a no-no. Okay. <laughs> Softy but no hardy. Yeah, you can't you can't show it like either like I think uh, uh, right before, during, or after uh, a sexual activity. For some reason, the the people in Hollywood are like. <gasps> to be to be fair, there is no beaver in this at all. No, that's true. Um, and just I want to make a note too. Um, Pam has like noted talking about doing nudity in films, and she's kind of she was kind of of the mind of like, well, people are scared of nudity and they're scared of the naked the female form and it being shown as we can see with like the breastfeeding and all that kind of thing so her the idea of her doing her nudity and her reason behind it was to just be like here's here's my fucking body there there's no more mystery that's it here it is yeah and and you know what i i actually like that quite a bit because i'm kind of in that camp i just feel like it's almost always when it's in a movie it is like it's being used specifically to take advantage of their sexuality, or I don't know exactly how to word that, but I agree. It should be just it's the human, it's the female form who gives a shit, but you know it's not in there just because of that. Well, I give a shit. I give a lot of shits about the female form. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though. I know what you're saying. I mean, I get what you're saying, too, though. <laughs> we, we've also, like, hung on to this, like, draconian concept of, like, nudity on screen is somehow damaging or bad oh yeah especially in the states sure but but you can show um uh fucking negan uh uh you can show negan hitting a a, a teenager or a young adult to death with a baseball bat for 17 minutes in the walking dead until he's a fucking puddle that's fine though <laughs> these are other people that aren't comfortable with their sexuality exactly i mean it's it's a weird thing just in american films that i think is just never going to go away it's just I'm I'm glad Pam feels that way. Uh, that kind of uh, puts me a little at ease, honestly. I, I I guess what I'm saying is that they weren't like making her do it or whatever. She was doing it of her own accord for a certain right. No, yeah, exactly for a certain purpose. And the purpose that it serves in this film is to kill some motherfuckers. Yeah, well, that's true. And uh, and again, like I said earlier, I kind of love it. <laughs> She's also getting hers at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Well, sure. Even if it's by some scumbags. Imagine a World War Euro trip is an influential boundary-breaking movie. Because it has, like, that one shot of, like, like was it, like, 37 dudes running to the nude beach? I've never actually seen that movie, but... I mean, not that I'm gonna watch it, but that's something, I guess. I think there's a, a deleted scene, or on the director's cut, they wander into a nude beach think it's gonna be a good time. And it's just old dudes. And they all get chased by them. <laughs> So we cut to this uh, party either the same day or the next day. It's not exactly clear. Um, and uh, it, it's bopping. There's a lot of people there. They're enjoying themselves. Yeah. And uh, this is our first introduction to the man Vitroni, played by uh, Alan Arbus. And our first introduction to Sid Haig, and he's playing Omar. Uh, well, our first non-masked introduction <laughs> yeah because the other times that we've seen him it's like from the back of the head or with a ski mask on 
Um, and he immediately starts needling this, like, bodyguard for uh, King George. What's this guy's name, Ted? Ah, uh, I don't know. He, I feel like he. it doesn't matter because he doesn't really ever come back into the film. Oh, yes, he does in a big way. Oh, does he? Really? Yeah, we'll get... He's in the car. Is he the driver? He's in the car. Yeah, he's the driver. Studs. 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 Yeah, so he's getting in the face of Studs, and it's, it's a pretty great scene because he's being all racist and shit. He's like, what does he say to, uh, uh, or Sid Haig says something to him when he goes, yeah, you, you need a shower, and Sid Haig gets all, like, quiet. He's like, what's he, we're on the same team now. I don't even know what accent. I'm, I, I guess I'm doing Russian, but it's not really <laughs> Russian, but maybe Sid's doing Russian. In Soviet Union. Team join you. In Sid Haig's mind, you're already dead. S- Sid Haig has killed you lifetimes ago. You just don't know it yet. And Stud is just like, fuck you, man. I only work for the king. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then we go to the uh, inside to the party, and uh, King George's girlfriend, Meg, she just is not having it with uh, Pam Greer. And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, watch this. And she grabs this fucking tray of drinks from, like, one of the, the uh, waiters. And she's like, oh, yeah. It's like a strawberry daiquiri platter. Oh, what is this guy's name? Vitroni? Ravioli. Vitroni, Vitroni, give me the ravioli. <laughs> she goes to Vitroni. She's like, oh, sir, you don't have a drink. Please let me. And she knocks all these drinks all over Pam Greer. And everybody knows she does it on purpose. It's so fucking obvious. She's like, it was an accident. I'm sorry. Well, it's not just it's not just her. It's that every other woman in the room is like, oh, God, what? And they they start to, like, just ruin her fucking outfit. They, like, they grab it. They try to undress her at some point. Oh, my God. They rub it, it in. Yeah, they're rubbing it in. Like, oh, he's how tragic. I love how Vitroni's just like, this was not an accident. He's like, you did that on purpose. I know you. You did it. <laughs> he calls her out hard. That was no accident. Yeah. And she has, of course, a white dress on, so it's just totally ruined. And and King George is staring daggers across the fucking room at these women. Because, like, he brought this woman in because under his, you know, in his impression, this is, you know, this is, it's a guest. It's a new member. Um, And, like, he doesn't say a word, but he has this, like, first of all, it you you recognize the pout because it's from re- fucking RoboCop and that mustache along with it. And, like, he is just, like, just silently brewing the whole time. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, be- because he was priming her up for Vitroni. So it's like, oh, yeah, look what you fucking did, you little jerk, you know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, he was just like, if he stared any harder, like, that whole half the room would have combusted. Like, he's just... But these people are so fucking stupid because they just played into her hand. Oh, oh, totally. Well, she, this is an easy out for her because she's able to go back to the penthouse by herself to get cleaned up. And in the process, she uncovers King George's stash that's underneath his fireplace ashes and she dumps out all the fucking dope and replaces it with sugar and puts it back (laughs) and she's like that'll fix your ass motherfucker they wait uh a decent amount of time to let that like yeah become (sighs) a thing and then when it comes back later you're like (laughs) and then she goes to the bathroom and she's like i'm gonna show these bitches and she puts fucking razor blades in her hair she puts fucking razor blades in her weave, dude. She ain't fucking around. She's ready to go back in there and whip some ass. Dude, she's ready to fucking throw it down because she walks in and fucking face plants this woman in a fucking pile of, uh, in a fucking salad bowl. She goes, hey, Meg, you haven't had any salad, have you? And she takes the whole bowl and dumps it on her face. She's got fucking Caesar dressing all over her. 
As she goes back there and challenges them off with a hardcore title, like she just starts scrapping. She hits them with fucking. <laughs> she hits them with fucking cutting trays, like uh, like culinary sheets. She throws them through tables. She's fucking elbowing people. We are breaking bottles over bitches' heads. We are ripping boobies out of uh, dresses. Okay, okay. This is what I'm talking about. Every time she attacks one of these other women, she rips their fucking shirt open. It's all—it's borderline hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she fucking lumps some woman with a fucking serving tray, and it gives this audible, like, dong that I love. Oh, yeah, it's like, it, it made me think of when Austin hit McMahon with a fucking be- uh, bedpan. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and King George is trying to, like, break it up, and Vitroni's like, no, let them fight. Yeah, he fucking goes full Ken Watanabe. He's just like, let them fight. And, and then after getting her ass royally kicked, Meg Joe's goes to run after uh, Coffee from behind and grabs her hair and ha- gets her hands totally fucked up and there's blood everywhere. Ah! It's gushing out of her hands all over the floor and Venturi is just like, uh, Venturi is just like, hey, that was great. Let's see what happens later. <laughs> and King George is just standing there fucking holding the bag like, oh, fuck. Yeah, imagine if like Ken Watanabe's in the back of the room looking over Venturi's giving a thumbs up like, yes. <laughs> That's some <laughs> fight. <laughs> It's Vitroni, and I have to say that out loud again because I keep fucking it up. He's gonna be ravioli to me for the rest of the movie. Are they? Are they Italian? I yeah yeah I think so. But I think because I think it is that stereotypical thing. It's like it's the mob, the the ambiguous mob. So of course they're Italian. I guess you know what? I, I the accents are so bad sure. that I didn't realize <laughs> that it was supposed to be Italian. But I guess you're right. Yeah, Vitroni. That's why I just yeah I think, I'm like he's just nonsensical. You know uh with like I don't know. Euro bad guy. Yeah, Euro bad guy. Yeah. So yeah, cuts this bitch up, and this motherfucker's like, "Yeah, she's like a wild, she's like a wild animal. I I need to have her tonight, okay?" And King George is like, "Fuck, okay." So then she's gonna go meet Petroni at his his uh house or his his studio or his uh apartment, more or less. Which is, I I guess. It looks like a hotel, but apparently it's Roy Rogers' house, like the real Roy Rogers. Really? Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool, but uh. The text motherfucker recognizes her from the robbery where, uh, well, he recognizes her from when they beat the shit out of Carter, and he goes up to, like, the receptionist and is like, and asks him to make a phone call. And you don't really know what's going to happen yet. Well, he's getting an inkling because he's like, I, I think I know who that is. And we also see before that, I did forget to mention this before she goes over there, she has this uh, stuffed uh, lion that she hides a pistol in. And, and puts in her bag. It's like a thirty-eight with a fucking silencer on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a homemade silencer. I mean, she's a fucking bitch. She's a bad bitch. She knows what she's doing. Oh, yeah. She's going to fucking pop this motherfucker. So she goes into his uh, apartment, and they're, they're starting to get intimate. And uh, he, he starts his routine. Oh, hold on. Before we get to that part, by now she's completely dropped the Jamaican accent. Like yes, the whole Jamaican that's true. bit. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> Nobody says anything. No, and that's like his... His kink, right? Right. <laughs> so that's the gag, I guess? I don't know. So then he, of course, he tells her to get on her hands and knees. He spits on Ugh. her. And I think, you know, she was going to kill him anyway. But as soon as he spits on her, she's like, all right, no more fucking games. Man, the, the shame just starts and it's fucking gross. Uh, Okay. I can't stand spit. I hate it. Yep. Double. Like, the duly uh, noted. I, working, at a, working at a movie theater, I had to pick up people's fucking tobacco spit cups. And it's it instills vitriolic hatred in me for about three seconds. Um, when he spat on her, I was like, just fucking rip his face off. Like, just get up and just peel him like a fucking, like an apple. Like, 
she she doesn't even wait, dude. She doesn't even crawl over there. She's like, fuck this. She takes the gun out of the fucking lion, and she's like, you white motherfucker. She's like, I'm going to piss on your fucking grave tomorrow. <laughs> I love that line. That is so perfect. I would have shot him in speech later. Like, I, there's no time for talking. I have to correct this mistake. <laughs> well, it, it's a thing of, like, she kind of wanted to enjoy it a little bit, but, like, it happened, like, it's so, like, what were they doing in the room? Because Sid Haig immediately accosts her and, and gets the gun away from her. And he, like, punches her right in the fucking face. Yeah, he comes in from, like, off screen. He flies in with the fucking falcon punch, dude. <laughs> yeah, him and Tex come in. Spalding punch! <laughs> yeah. Tex is like, yeah, I recognized her. <laughs> Joe Don's uh, here. <laughs> yeah, Joe Joe Don recognized her, and they basically are like, oh, fuck, who sent you? Who fucking sent you? Was it King George? And of course, because she wants this guy dead anyway, she's just gonna say yes. They, 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 they say that's the same guy, that's the same girl from when we broke into Carter's house. That's the same boobs that I felt. <laughs> and um, and she, yeah, she dimes out fucking King George. They're, and so they put a hit out immediately on this guy. <laughs> yeah, they believe her instantly. I, I guess because they had already like they're already prejudiced, so they just they just say the word. They're gonna be like, okay, yeah, no, for sure. But then Eye Patch walks in, and he sees her. And he's like, what? He's like, what? Do you know her? And he's like, yeah, we got problems. Really big problems now. Right. Now, this immediately made me think, okay, Howard is even more powerful than we think he is, like, over uh, Vitroni. That's what I thought initially, too. Yeah, I thought they were like, oh, we're fucked. Because now we've roughed up this this politician we're trying to work with's girlfriend. Um, the next five minutes are some of the most, uh, like, delicately handled and expertly filmed minutes in this fucking movie because it's just it's tarantino-esque like uh uh like really high quality dread because not nothing's happening it's very mundane but there's no music and they're just being relatable and just talking between each other as a couple like joe said it's obviously something that inspired tarantino i mean just watch the movie yeah yeah it's like, but yeah, it's my most like contemporary like example of this. Um, oh, absolutely, it's crafted really well, and and again, you think it's there for nothing, but it really is there to relate to these characters like very closely. Yeah, yeah. The longer it goes on, you're like, oh, something fucking. Te-. The moment he opened the door, I thought he was gonna get fucking blown away. So like, it's basically just him and his. Uh, it's him and what's his his girlfriend's name? Meg. Meg's lamenting about the party, and he is just stone quiet. He's not. He hasn't said a word actually since the fight went down. <laughs> like he's been just stoic. And he's loading what he thinks is cocaine into uh, into a vial that he's going to hide in a camera. But it's really the sugar that that coffee had put there the night before. Yeah, and like she's basically trying to reconcile as a couple, and he kind of wants nothing to do with it at first. And then, like, the longer she kind of keeps on him, like he starts to kind of break down and kind of starts to uh, be less of a piece of shit to her. Um, before they get, like, really sincere with each other, and then he's like, you know what, fine, when I get back, we'll do something special, whatever. And then as soon as he said, when I get back, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last thing he says to this woman is, when do you think you'll be able to turn another trick? And she's like, I don't know, at least a week. And he's like, oh, motherfucker. Right. So you know where his concerns really are. Yeah, exactly. But, but, it, but you're right, Connor, because, um, there, there is... You can tell that they have that close enough relationship there. Because he even said, he's like, I love you. I'm not going to fucking turn you out or whatever. And like, you're, we're going to patch stuff up when I get back, basically. The dialogue, he's like, he's like, yeah, when I get back, I'm like, something fucking terrible is going to happen to you in the next two minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the death 
the death flags are fucking waving loud and, and proudly. But, okay, but then but then it doubles down because he. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna take an issue with Tubi right fucking now, because this is all going on, and I'm like, I'm like, my fuck, bite my fingernails. So I'm like, he's gonna open the door, and get blown away. He's gonna grab his car door and get blown up. He walks outside, and there's that POV shot of him looking in the car window. Add. Oh, oh no! <laughs> okay, oh. see, it wasn't that bad for me. That's pretty uh, egregious. Ad, and I was like, "You motherfucker!" <laughs> you should have got that Arrow Blu-ray, dude. Yeah. Oh man, I was pissed. But then, like, when he gets in the car, and like, first he's like, "Oh well, hey guys," and he's like, he thinks nothing of it. And then, like, after like a minute, he's like, "Hang on, uh, something's not right," because Studs keeps looking back, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he says some stud says some shit like, "Dude, I can't argue with a forty-five, so just get in the car." I'm sorry. Yeah, and like studs is studs is blowing any kind of secrecy that could be going on because he looks like he's scared out of his fucking mind. Well, and, and to your point, Connor, I think at first he is a little worried, but then like when nothing happens after like the first minute or two, he's like, "Ah, oh, this is a big fucking joke." Like, ah, this is nothing. And then like the longer it goes on, and then he realizes they're like getting off the interstate. He's like, uh, where are we going? First, he's like, okay, cool. And then, like, they start laughing. And they laugh harder. And then they laugh really hard. And then they laugh hard to the point where you're like, <laughs> I am in danger. Yeah, but then they just stop. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then, and that's when he's like, and that's when he's like, where are we going? They go, don't worry about it. Stop asking questions, King George. It's a surprise, Sid Hay keeps saying. He's like, oh, that's the, that's your present because, like, he thinks, uh, George thinks uh, Vitroni's like rewarding him because he gave right. coffee to him, like as like a as like a gift or whatever. That's not what's happening at all. <laughs> but then when he realizes he's gonna be killed, more or less, he just keeps saying, "Can you tell me what I did? I don't know. Like, tell me what I did." And they don't say shit. This man dies not knowing why he was murdered. Yeah, it's fucking evil. Like, uh, I mean, can't, he's not a good man, but like the people who are doing this to him are fucking dreadful. Oh yeah. I mean, the way they take him out, too, is like, oh, my I, my fucking jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. The sequence goes on too long because at that point it becomes so shocking. I'm just chuckling. So so they have Stud pull the car over. And without t- t- telling uh, George anything, they get out of the car. He's like, come on, man. Stop fucking playing around. He's like, what did I do? What's the matter? What did I do wrong? What, what's happening? What are we doing? They tie his fucking hands up. They duct tape his hands together. And then they put a noose around his neck and tie the fucking and other end to the car. And then Sid Haig walks around the car and gets in the front seat and proceeds to start driving. And he's kind of like keeping up with it for a second, but then he trips over a branch and it's all downhill from there. And they, I mean, this man was not going to survive anyway. Like, this is like unbelievably brutal, but they're intentionally going through like traffic signs. Oh my goodness. They they drive into like an empty lot with all this garbage all over the place and they're whacking him into shit. He's hitting like fucking sidewalks on the road. Dude, even, yeah, even before that when he's driving through the neighborhood and they fucking start going faster, they swing this dude right into a fucking curb and you feel that shit. Like, they use him like a human wrecking ball. Um, and they was like towards the end, like it goes on for a it may not go on for long, actually, but it feels like an eternity because it's just they, they keep going and, like, it keeps escalating. And, like, granted, at some point, it is a very obvious dummy, um, which is why I started giggling because at that point, the yeah, mentality sure. was over the fucking top because they're in this lot and they're whipping him around and, like, head first into a crate, fucking spine first into, like, this, like, this, like, cement pole. Um, and they just keep, like, it's just, it's ridiculous how long it goes on for. Yeah. 
And the whole thing is, too, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but it's it, it's the whole racist angle, too, because Sid Haig's enjoying it, first of all. And oh, second of sure all, is. like, the other gangsters and, like, the guys in charge are like, we need to show all the other, you know, black guys that are, that are working under us that we mean business, so we really got to do a number on this poor guy. Make an example of him, yeah. Yeah, and, and Sid Haig is even saying while he's doing this, like, this is how we take out your kind, and it's like, holy shit. And Stud's watching all of this happen, like, in the passenger seat. And Sid Haig even says to him, he's like, hey, uh, Studs, he's like, you don't want to end up like this, so don't open your mouth. Yeah, he's like, you're going to need a job soon. Come work for us. We're nice guys, he says. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. The fucking scene cuts. We suddenly have an employment vacancy. <laughs> it is uh, easily the most disturbing scene in the movie, but it's, it's fucking very effective for sure. So we cut back to Howard, uh, the councilman, and we haven't seen him for a while. But he's given some bullshit speech about how, well, it's not bullshit, but he's using it as leverage to gain power, basically. He's talking about how he's going to do all this stuff to help his community and help out the black yeah. and brown people. But it's all bullshit. But it, it's very clearly just him just saying what people want to hear, because as soon as the interview's done, he drops the act. Yeah, and the fucking director's like, nice going, Howard, real convincing. We're going to use this part and this part. And then Eye Patch is there. And Howard walks up and he's like, oh, I'm surprised to see you. He's like, he's like, somebody might take your picture. He's like, nobody ever takes my picture. Yeah, and he ends up giving uh, the driver, uh, some his driver, some some kind of letter or something, which I guess is a request that we find out later. He gets beckoned to, to meet with his cronies, who we will be revealed soon. But uh, for now, uh, we're treated to Sid Hagen, his little red shorts. <laughs> <laughs> You could go from this scene where he is one of the most evil people on the planet to this wacko shot of him on the sitting next to the pool in these fucking short shorts. It's the most of Sid Haig I've ever seen. He's sunbathing in these little red shorts. Yeah. <laughs> He's very revealing. I don't know, man. We were talking about his later work a little earlier. If you ever saw Devil's Rejects when he's walking around in, that, in the tidy whities with the fucking skid mark, that was a little too much for me. Oh, that's right. I might have just like subconsciously blocked that whole part of the movie out. Um, but yeah, he's he's sitting by the pool and coffee's in. I guess it's like a sauna, but it's it's essentially either a sauna slash fucking tool shed. No, it's a sauna for sure. There's like the hot rocks and all that shit. Yeah. Um, she's locked in there and she's like banging a rock on the door and Sid Hay comes over and just basically is like, shut the fuck up. You're not getting out. She was going to bop him with a fucking rock, but he <laughs> he's too smart for that. Yeah, so she takes a, a, a bobby pin. No, she finds a giant safety pin. Oh, is that what it is? I thought it was a bobby pin. I think so. I thought it was a bobby pin too. I mean, it might be a bobby pin it was pretty big though yeah okay it's a bobby it's pin. a bo <laughs> listen uh, i don't i don't usually talk about this on the show but i've cleaned a lot of pipes in my life it's a fucking bobby pin it's awful big is all i'm saying well you bend it you bend it and that's what they look like um but she's sharpened it on one of these rocks i guess uh for later yeah she puts it she puts it right up in her hair dude this movie does a very good job at planting little Chekhov's guns that you stop thinking about for a little while um, even for even for maybe a couple seconds, because when um when Meg grabbed her hair and screaming that her hands were covered in blood, I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" Oh, you had already forgotten blade. about the razor yeah, blade. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, because in between her putting razor blades in her hair and that woman grabbing her hair, she sucker punches like eighteen women and starts hitting them with weapons. So of course I forgot about it. She fucking big boots a couple too. That scene is so good. So then we we get the big reveal uh, as Howard pulls up to the to the compound in his Corvette. And McHenry's already waiting there, and he's like, oh, hey, how's it doing, officer? He's like, you know why we're here? He's like, uh, he's like, I like to know as little as possible. He's like, yeah, oh, you're a good cop there, pal. Yeah, so it turns out, like, uh, fucking, what's his name, Venturi? 
Volturi. Vitroni. God damn it. Ventura. I keep fucking this up. Stop it. Don't worry. I still can't get Joey Pants' name right after all these years. It was right there. Uh, So uh, Vitroni is there. Jesse the Body Venturi. <laughs> Jesse the Body Venturi. Damn it. It's fucking... <laughs> You fucked it up again. What do you think about that, Monsoon? Hello, hello, Howard Brunswick. Vitroni is there, and Howard Brunswick is there, and the uh, the police chief is there, and uh, and Eyepatch is there. And then you're like, oh, here we are, meeting of the bad guys. Yeah. A little funny note about this scene is that Eyepatch is playing pool, and he is just constantly not hitting the right ball. <laughs> He doesn't hit the damn cue ball once. I didn't notice that. They let him play because it makes him feel good. You yeah, know? I think that's yeah. what it is. He's, right. He doesn't even know why people call him iPad. He's like, what do you mean? Who calls me that? So so the bad guys do put it together that Coffee knows Howard. But, right. uh, you know, the audience is thinking, like, Howard isn't really involved with them, per se. Uh, but he is. quite. He's quite involved with yes. them. Yes. Yeah, Sid Haig grabs uh, coffee from, from the sauna and brings her inside. And they're basically shaking down Howard. They're like... This fucking woman came in and tried to kill me. He's like, how do you know her? What's, you know, what's the deal? What's the truth? Dude, fuck this guy. I know, and she fucking goes to bat for him. And she's like, oh, no, it was King George. Like, King George put me up to it, blah, blah, blah. And then Eyepatch makes the connection that, like, oh, well, Howard's lying because he was in with King George and he was in with the other drug dealers that they kind of moved in and took over. Again, it is that racist bullshit where it's like, they're all black, they're all in it together. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, they're all they're all brothers. Yeah, he says something that's just, yeah, that that's the, that line from him is deliberately reprehensible. He's like, Dude, you can't trust these people. They, they're, they're like brothers. Yeah, the fucking Frank Gorshin weird-looking motherfucker with the one eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quiet mutant. Yeah. <laughs> but Howard makes himself unredeemable immediately because before he even really says like the worst thing, he's like, "Gosh, oh, she's just some bitch I fuck." Oh yeah, that's fucking that. Jeez, that fucking broke her once, and then he just says it out loud. He's like, "I don't give a fuck. Take her outside and kill her." Yeah, and she starts. She starts crying. It's that's what I'm saying. Like, so she's like in love with this guy. She thinks she thinks she's saving him, and then he ends up just fucking throwing him through throwing her to the sharks you know what i mean oh yeah big time eat the rich oh yeah <laughs> straight up i think he even says later he's like i don't give a fuck black brown yellow red i don't give a yeah. shit I, j- I care about the green baby that's exactly what he says because you're a politician you're all rotten yeah fuck them all so then sid haig and the cops they take her out to you know kill her under like a bridge or some shit and uh again sid haig even though he's this racist motherfucker he just has a thing for her and she can kind of see it um, so they break out a syringe, and she knows it's the uh, heroin that uh, King George had previously. She already kind of knows it's sugar, but they're going to try to shoot her up and have Road D. Um, question, uh, I don't know if it will, I think it'll still harm you, though, won't it, if you're direct, directly injecting sugar into your veins? Uh, you shouldn't, I, I can't confirm what that would do or what it wouldn't do. Just you probably shouldn't do it. You probably shouldn't do it. I mean, maybe she, maybe she wouldn't die. But I, you'd be kind of fucked up, wouldn't you? I that would. I I imagine it would fucking hurt. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think it would probably hurt, and maybe you go on a sugar high. But I don't think you're gonna die at least. They're also cooking it on a spoon in the back of a cop car. <laughs> yeah, like she's got she's got fucking caramel fucking going through her veins, dude. <laughs> That's probably like I mean like because that, I, I'm not again I'm not an expert, but like I imagine shooting caramel into someone's blood vessel would 
probably cause like a temporary blockage. Yeah, a clot, sure. right? Yeah, probably. It's probably very dangerous. I still would take that over like a hot fucking heroin uh, shot any day. Well, well, yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't want to think about that choice. <laughs> no, me too. Yeah, I don't, I don't want a choice between blood clot or heroin <laughs> or overdose. Heroin overdose. <laughs> just fucking shoot me. Just fucking put a bullet in me. So she's like, oh, Sid Haig, you're so fucking handsome. I, I, I'd I fuck you if you weren't going to kill me. And he's like, really? Okay, let's go. <laughs> Can you put on clown makeup? <laughs> but the- yeah, right. But the one cop's like, no, we're going to shoot her up first. So like... In my mind, I'm like, okay, as far as Sid Haig knows, she's going to die in a few minutes. So he's just going to, ah, you're about to die, but I'm going to fuck you. This is going to be your final memory. Jesus. Like, uh, he's just that much of a scumbag. He doesn't give a shit, I guess. I guess. But the cop's like, you can't fuck in my office, he says. <laughs> so, yeah. so Sid takes her out into, like, some shady part underneath this fucking bridge and starts going at so it. takes her to a fucking overpass. Yeah. Between, like, a fridge and, like, a little wooden crate and, like, maybe a dead cat. Yeah. And he keeps going, I can't get the damn zipper down. And she pulls that uh, sharpened bobby pin out as, as he's about to insert himself into her, and she just, like, goes ham, stabbing him repeatedly in the neck with this thing. Yeah, she does a little inserting of her for herself, uh, <laughs> because this fucking thing goes in at least five times. Oh, yeah. Oh, she gives him the old Colin Farrell bullseye from Daredevil. She hits him with this fucking little tiny blade in the neck a bunch of times. Except she's far cooler. I fucking love this. Oh, dude, and he is fucking, that jugular is fucked. <laughs> he, I am so glad he goes out the way he fucking does it was the rest of this movie like connor i know you were kind of joking earlier about some of like the stuff you laughed at in this film the last like 10 to 15 minutes maybe laughing is the wrong word but i was literally lightheaded i was jumping out of my seat and laughing so hard how she took these motherfuckers out one after another one of them i almost fell off the fucking couch <laughs> we'll get to it shortly i think i know which one she annihilates these people um I, like you don't see sid Haig his ultimate fate but he's left in the middle of the city, uh, and, uh, you know, in uh, like under an overpass with a with many holes in his neck, and he's actively bleeding, like he's going to die. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's perfect because he's telling the cops to come back and help him, and they just fucking leave him there. They're like, sure, we'll help you. See ya. <laughs> well, first, Officer Bad is like, let me get some cocaine first. Wait, this isn't cocaine. I've been had. I'm leaving. Sugar in a needle. <laughs> Sugar in coffee. Get it? There you go. Anyway, um, holy shit. Okay. Yeah, that was a, that was a bad one. Uh, yeah. Well. Oh my god. P.S. Coffee runs away, and the, the other cop runs after, and just is shooting her randomly <laughs> in the in the public. Yeah, but Sid Haig is like mortally fucking wounded, and he's just bleeding profusely from his neck under this fucking overpass. And this other cop just takes off and fucking leaves him there. Well, like, like first, like, okay, so this cop like gets into his car, and it looks like he is going to turn the car around, like, maybe at a glance, and come pick him up. Turns the car around, <laughs> does a big U.E., and just flies <laughs> right the fuck past fuck Sid Haig. And Sid Haig's like, no! <laughs> you goddamn Italian, fuck you. Weird, weird bald guy, anyway. Weird bald guy. <laughs> so then the other cop that's driving, McHenry, he must hear the gunshot, so he, like, whips around on the freeway and almost, like, crashes into three or four different people. It- yeah, and meanwhile, this guy's just buzzing off fucking rounds, like in the middle of traffic, and and coffee like runs through traffic to try to to try to get away from him, and he follows like a moron, and he gets fucking clobbered. This fucking uh pickup truck comes out of nowhere and just flattens this man. Well, yeah, first like the hit is so sudden, and it's just like. Bah! Uh, and then it just shows this fucking dummy getting annihilated on the ground with like just like red shit. The red, the rear tires pop this fucking guy's head. Yeah, 
also the the blood in this movie is it doesn't look realistic, but it it works. It is stark, stark red. It is like uh, like play doh. Oh yeah, yeah, it's that seventies tempera paint color. You know, yeah. It's uh, you know, again, I I was loving all of it. Her finally getting revenge on these assholes. And uh, then, and then this uh, McHenry guy is chasing her in his vehicle into like an empty lot of some construction site. I just want to make one note real quick. This guy's face while he's driving, he's his lips are just pursed, and he's got this, he's got like this like happy-go-lucky look on his face, kind of. And he is just plowing through uh, road closed signs oh, yeah. and closed gates and things like it ain't no thing. Well, who knows? Maybe he just took all that sugar and just mainlined it, and then just <laughs> sure. He could have. He's, he's got a ridiculous. He's he's operating on just nothing but a sugar high. And he's fucking. He checked his other pocket and actually had the dope and shot it up. <laughs> he's like, "Well, I got this. I got all the sugar. At least it'll make me excited." Here I go. I kind of love the idea though that when he finally catches up the coffee, he doesn't like get out of the car and just shoot her. He just like keeps trying to run her over, and she just keeps running out of the way. She she is uh, evading him like a really like like a deer. She's like boom, running across the way. She he's out of she's out of sight, and he keeps like biffing into things. Um. <laughs> And like she 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 darts across again. He fucking has to pull a Yui. Like he's an idiot because yeah, he could just get out of the car and you know not have to keep constantly turning the car around, doing K turns and outmaneuvering this peep this person on foot. I guess he didn't want to shoot her for whatever reason. Yeah. But anyway, she throws a rock yes. and he breaks the fucking windshield and he like runs into this. I don't know what, this pile of shit, and the car flips over. And then you just hear him inside go, Ah, somebody help me! This thing's gonna burn up! <laughs> and she just pulls the shotgun out and leaves him. This man lights on fire, and he is barbecued alive in this cop car. Yeah, I have to say, it appears that he spontaneously combusts. It happens inside the vehicle, and not in any part that might be mechanical. Like, he just, he bursts into flames. <laughs> it's so fucking good. He gets what he deserved! Oh, yeah. And whether it's supernatural or not, yeah, it's very deserved. So, it's supernatural. <laughs> he just, he, look, the inside, the interior of the car, like, did he have a cigarette that, like, he didn't put out? Like, Oh, I, I was trying to light up. Yeah, the lighter pop out and, you know, fall into his crotch. Yeah, he had a bunch of napkins in there. He was getting it ready for Chucky and it just ended up falling. Oh, no, my collection of oily rags. <laughs> in my pocket. In my pocket. In my pocket. <laughs> So then we go to this scene that Connor was alluding to earlier where Pam Greer's kind of just waiting at a, at a bus stop, essentially, to try to get anybody to pull over. He's waiting for some fucking mark, dude. Yeah, big time. And this guy, why does everyone in this movie have to be an asshole? Because most people are assholes. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Especially to beautiful women. Yeah, this Richard Brake-looking motherfucker. <laughs> he got, like, I love Richard Brake, but yeah, he's like... You're like, man, I need someone to be reprehensible for like five seconds in a movie. Call Richard Brake. Um, <laughs> this is not Richard Brake, but he reminded me of him. This guy, instead of just offering her a ride home, is like trying to get laid. And of course, Pam's like, fuck it, I'll play into it. I'll just steal his fucking car. She's like, oh, well, let's go to the liquor store because I want some juice. And he's like, okay, let's do it. Leaves his keys in his fucking car, and she steals that shit, like, immediately. And he doesn't even try to chase it down. I mean, maybe he's smart enough to know he ain't catching up to a car, but... <laughs> he's just like, hey, oh, that was mine. We come back. And she goes back to the bus stop, and she grabs the fucking shotgun she ha she hid behind some bushes. Oh, that was great. That's, that's such a great thing. Yeah. Like, she waited for this dude to come steal his car, drives back to the fucking place where she was, grabs the shotgun, and then makes her way to the fucking cabin. But Howard, in that time, like, he leaves 
at the perfect moment. He would have been so fucked otherwise. Well. I mean, he, well, we'll get to his ass later, but yeah. <laughs> uh, he leaves, and then moments later, you know, she comes fucking driving up full speed, and uh, Eye Patch is like, huh, they're kind of coming in hot. I would say we have to set that scene a little better because, like, they're talking about, like, because they're all, like, sitting at the table and, like, I think it's, isn't it Patch who gets nervous first? Patch is nervous because he's like, he's like, oh, uh, he's like, they should have been back by now. And Vitroni's like, who gives a shit? Let's have another drink. Isn't that funny? Let's be evil and white together. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I think I hear them coming now. And Patch gets up and goes on, goes on the fucking front porch and he's looking. He's like, hey, hey it's coming, coming real fast. Wow. Let's just slow down a little bit. Uh, I guess that's them. This fucking car is doing like 80 miles an hour and not slowing down. It is very like, it is kind of Austin Powers-esque because like he's outside and he's watching this car come at him from the horizon essentially. And he just takes he his takes glasses his off and starts wa- like, polishing him. He's like, yeah, ain't that a thing. She's coming. In, they're coming in real fast. This part had me rolling. I don't know if this was the scene that had you rolling, Joe. This is exactly the scene because this fucking car comes barreling through this cabin and takes out the entire front of this building along with eye patch. <laughs> it is amazing. It's fantastic. Without missing a beat, she comes through this thing, whips that door open, pulls that shotgun out, and fucking blasts. What's his name? Esteban? What's his name? The the police. Uh, Ruben, the captain. Ruben. Yeah, he fucking blows away the chief. And then this is hilarious to me. Vitroni, he. This is his fucking house. He goes to leave out the back door, and this motherfucker forgets he has a pool, I guess. <laughs> falls right into it he knows he's fucked immediately i thought they were just setting up the, like you know the the tropey like bad guy is shot falls into pool um just so you can have that effect of like the blood cladding up the water but no instead he just walks over and fucking goofs into his own pool like sean point now that he owns that he knows is there right and I love Pam Greer's reaction when she comes out with the shotgun. He's, like, trying to hide under the water like that's going to really work. She's like, come on, enough with the bullshit. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? I thought he was trying to drown himself and then failed. And she was like, are you kidding? Like, right. <laughs> I think she he was trying to duck so, like, I guess in case he, like, she tried to shoot him and it didn't pierce the water enough or something. I don't know. Or, like, she wouldn't see him or something. What an idiot. I love this because Vitroni's just like, I'll give you whatever you want, a million dollars, whatever. And she's like, all right, I won't kill you. Give me a million dollars. She's like, okay, great. She, and he's like, okay, can you just tell me where this uh, guy is and I won't kill you? And he's like, uh, yeah, he's at his beach house. And he's like, she's like, thanks. And then fucking blows a hole in him in the fucking pool. <laughs> she's like, I know it well. She pulls out, I want my father back, you son of a bitch, and fucking shoots him anyway. Offer me anything. Good. Offer me everything in the world. And before Howard left, he specifically said he was meeting someone there. Um, and this is the same beach house from earlier in the film. So, of course, she knows exactly where it is. And uh, she heads over there. And, uh, you know, she just walks in and Howard's grabbing some, like, champagne and an ice bucket. I love that it showed her. It didn't just cut to him going to the living room, turn the lights on, she's there. Like, we get to see her walk in, see a window of opportunity, and then sit down. Like, the- yes! Yeah, she she sneaks in and sits down, like, off camera. You see her, you, you you witness her get the opportunity to get the absolute drop on this guy, and you see, and so, in like, in turn, you would see him walk into a room unaware and come back in dangerously aware of how the situation's changed. It's really cool. And, and we, as the audience, know that he's there with somebody, but she doesn't know that yet. I totally didn't know either, because I didn't pick up on that. So oh. I didn't think what hap- what did happen was going to happen. And then came that reveal. I was like, uh, yeah, shoot him. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I was anticipating a bit, but not in the way that it actually played out, I guess is what I'll say. She basically succumbs to the fact that, like, oh, you know, oh, Howard, you, you can always you can always talk me into anything or whatever. And he kind of, like, sweet talks her to the fact that, like, oh, you know, fuck those guys. I don't care about them because she's like, yeah, I killed all your friends and I'm going to kill you. And, like, this this whole thing has been sort of a dream for me and I'm still in. The- I love how she says that analogy, like. Killing all these guys has been like a dream that I've been in, and I'm still in that dream, and I think I'm going to be able to kill you. Well, and then she, she also says, like, she's like, they're all dead, and she's like, I'm not even sure how I did that, because, like, like the odds were stacked against her, and she's against, like, against all those odds. She came out, and everyone else is dead. She sure did. And I, I kind of love the execution of this a lot, because he is talking up about how he's going to help the black yeah. and brown community, that's what he's all about, he just had to do what he had to do, and... This motherfucker is so full of shit because he's sleeping with a white woman. Well, that too. And and but he but she calls him on him even even before that. She's like, "You're full of fucking shit." And he's like, "He's." And then that's when he drops the line, like, "You know what? It doesn't fucking matter if you're black or brown or yellow or or white or whatever." Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's all about the green and like the money. And I'm gonna use that money to empower everybody. It's money and power that matters. Um, instead of like unity and actually getting together and coming together and, and doing you know the right thing for each other. Sure. I just thought it was extra funny. I feel like that was definitely tacked on there intentionally. Oh no, without a fucking doubt, dude, for sure. The white the, the fact that woman's white, I think, is kind of secondary, but the fact that like this like she in his eye, like in, in his perspective, she's been dead for five minutes, supposedly. Oh yeah. And you know, and to her, like, you know, their relationship Prior to that was concrete, but then you know this big wrinkle happened with the the drug lords. But now it turns out like any any shred of loyalty she thinks he might have is completely fabricated. So now like she's like, oh, f- fuck your entire existence. Yeah. How about the how about the <laughs> fact that somebody's waiting upstairs to get fucked by him and yeah. she yeah. and he's like, I love you so much. I've been missing you. I couldn't wait to see. Oh my god, yeah, I can't an, believe they didn't kill you. Absolute scumbag. I knew they wouldn't kill you. He's obviously just looking for a moment to take her out during the entire conversation. Sure. Or disarm her at least. I yeah. He I he seems like the person who would get an opportunity to do something really under handed and, pl- and fight dirty um, oh yeah for sure probably even have someone else take care of it for him but um so we've been we've been working up to this point and um uh white chick reveals herself like hey honey what you doing down there whatever pam greer's fucking she's at it face goes she goes from a frown to a fucking scowl dude and um she pumps one round right into this dude's dick yes it's perfect and he drops like a sack of potatoes that is a wound that you will bleed from probably very quickly and it will be agonizing oh yeah i love how she doesn't even have a one-liner dude <laughs> she shoots him in the dick no she walks to the door she turns around opens the door and closes it what could you what can you possibly say following following shooting someone in the dick with a shotgun like that's the that's, i mean the, she's had a hell of a couple days a 12 gauge the nuts like the statement's been made there's nothing you could write and I just love how the the other woman's just like screaming the entire time. <laughs> and Howard and Howard grabs his mutilated junk, looks at the camera, and fucking drops dead. <laughs> oh yeah. And this uh, this final shot is it's really beautiful, honestly. It really is, yeah. Of uh, Pam Greer walking off, 
beaten and battered, blood all over her. She's just killed all these people and the man of her, you know, the love of her life. And uh, she just walks towards the sunrise on the beach as the credits kind of roll in. And the thing about that to me is that, like, let's say you hung on that for about a minute or two longer. Like, let's say she passes by, I don't know, someone in a car. That person is going to be like, uh, here's another one of those fucking women in the street doing what they do. Like, they're not going to think anything of it because that's probably the environment. And, like, no one's going to think that she, no one's going to question the idea or even fathom the idea that she just killed six men. And I think that's why they didn't do it that way. And they left it with it's a dawn of a new day and the darkness, the darkness is over. And this this is a new chapter for your life. Exactly. Yeah. Like, she, like, I think... I think to the to the rest of the world, she would look like just another part of it. But yeah, I like the fact they let you know had this this uh, the 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 solo walk off. I don't know if this is what the movie is saying per se, but it's like that thing where it's like kind of a double edged sword with the way. I mean, even today to a point, but especially in the seventies, the way women were seen, where it's like, I mean, the way I read this, you know, going for let's say there was an extra scene, you know, coffee, you know, because she is a woman, no one's gonna think she did all that. She, st- it doesn't matter because she overcame those odds and we saw that journey and that's what matters oh 100 i'm just saying that's an additional element you add on top of everything else sure sure i i would say you can even actually take her her, her walk like you could look at her a different perspective because like a lot of revenge movies because this is a revenge movie it totally is um a lot of revenge movies do have an ending like this uh a more uh recent one i can think of is i saw the devil which has a similar framing of the ending, except that dude walks away and uh, you linger on him and he has a fucking emotional breakdown uh, because of what he's done. And uh, I do like that you can kind of look at this and maybe interpret it like whether you can kind of interpret in your own way what she's walking away with. Right. Or it could even be like Joe was just mentioning that whole like running theme from throughout the film about her yeah. thinking she's like in a dream because of the way that everything's happening. It, it could almost be like... Uh, She's waking up from that dream as the sun's rising. Oh yeah, that's a, that's another way to put. It. I think I think all I think maybe all of those things might be happening at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, it's really well done. And uh, and that's coffee, baby. Sweet as chocolate. Um, sweet as a chocolate bar, actually. So uh, where are we putting this, fellas? Um, shelf. Uh, it's a it's. I think my own mood was stifling me a little bit because um, uh, this is a rough time of year for me. But um, as I was getting through it, I think it's a little slower because the content, uh, the pacing, um, and we just watched Petey Wheatstraw. Um, like halfway through, I was like, "Do I like this?" But like as it was finished, I was like, "No!" I, like I'm just I'm I'm in a sour mood. Um, it's fucking bites really hard, and it swings to the fences sometimes as far as like what it's trying to do and say. Um, it's very sincere. It's thoroughly entertaining. Um, even if it's being, like, if you want to use the word trashy, um, maybe exploitative is another word I would use, uh, deliberately controversial. Um, you know, it's leaning into it very hard, but it works. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, Pam Greer's fucking awesome and does a lot of that physical shit. Actually, I'm pretty sure she does all the physical shit uh, by herself. Nearly uh, positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's fun to see. Um uh, and it's just dripping with style, and it's, uh, going back to these kinds of movies, these, like, 70s exploitative vigilante films is always fun, because, uh, I don't know, it just, it always feels like something that is exclusively from its time, so it's always, it's always interesting for me, so yeah, shelf, totally. It's a revenge killing! Get out of here, guessing! 
<laughs> in the best way possible. Richard Harris, Gitzing, well, whoever. He, who, the man is an enigma. Well, it's supposed to be Richard Harris. You know, he's out there somewhere in the MDU, always, uh, always showing up during revenge killing. So, of course, he's somewhere in the ether here. We should get a buddy cop with Gissing and Richard Harris from Orca so they can fucking run around going like, it's a revenge killing. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, uh, shelf, absolutely 110,000 fucking percent. Um, not only does this film uh, garner a ton of influence for not only the cinema we have now, but the outlook, um, I feel like, within that community, um, I feel like has this this almost single-handedly paved the way for um, women empowerment, especially in films. Um, and I've seen a lot of that. Uh, I, I, we've seen, we've seen a lot of that, uh, throughout, uh, the decades. And I think the, I think the, the most recent one I can think of is the movie that's literally called, uh, Revenge. I haven't seen that one. What's that one about? If you could give like a quick synopsis. It's basically, I spit on your grave. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I spit on your grave comes out a year after this. So, you know, that's kind of there. Now, this isn't, in that kind of exploitative way where, um, you know, she she's physically uh, uh, violated and then gets revenge. But it's still it's still a film where a loved one is hurt in a, in a similar way. Right. And your world is kind of broken and you get revenge uh, because of that. Yeah. I don't want to go on a whole fucking tangent, but I guess what what I what I want to say concisely about the film is that like, um. It's a staple of black exploitation cinema, and one of the first one of the first ones, and the first one to ever feature uh, uh, a female actress in a in a lead action role and a black female actress in an action role. And Pam Greer is just so fucking wonderful. She's beautiful. She's a badass. Uh, and she, she dishes it. She can take it. I, I love it. I love to. I, I love watching films like this. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, exploitation films and 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 uh, exploitation revenge films, and um, and yeah, I mean, there's really not much else I can say except it's great. It's absolutely fantastic, and and you know, echo everything that Connor said too. Uh, I don't really have too much to add to that except the fact that like it's it's a very like dingy kind of story and again that comes with the territory with exploitation films whether it's black exploitation or women in prison exploitation or whatever or not not nazi exploitation films um uh, i was gonna say like death wish is an exploitation film so like when you this i think this actually straddles a few genres um, sure i think that the the vigilante uh like movies from this time period are all exploitation movies um yeah i would i would i would argue that for sure and i i, I guess so i guess yeah they, they they really are like charles bronson has like four wives they all get raped and murdered in the first 10 minutes of all those movies and he's like i'm gonna go stand with shoulder length apart with a revolver and shoot minorities especially that first one too and again it has to do with the budget and things like that too so it, it's all these different factors that make it what it is and yeah I think it, I think this is from the golden age of that time, and it still holds up like a motherfucker. Um, and it's great. Uh, yeah, shelf. Uh, indefinitely. Uh, this is definitely a shelf movie without a doubt. And uh, I'll admit something here. I feel a little naked saying this, but you know, I like to be upfront with everybody listening here. Like. I'll admit it, like, I like Pam Greer quite a bit, but I haven't seen any of these movies, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit that, but now that I have seen Coffee, I think this weekend I'm gonna go hard on Pam Greer, you know, Tubi's got a bunch of her films, and I'm already eyeing up Foxy, uh, Foxy Brown, so... 
going to rectify this by the time this episode actually uh, releases, and I think that that's part of the reason why I'm really happy that we're doing yeah. this uh, month uh, focused on black exploitation because it's something that I'll admit it it's it's kind of a blind spot for me, and that that's a little embarrassing, honestly, for me to say, but. I'm I'm happy to finally like dig into it heavy duty and uh, kind of widen my horizons and I kind of hope everyone listening to this if you're in the same boat uh you know it 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 gets you to watch these films because I really recommend them I mean we kind of talked about this in length last episode with uh, Petey Wheatstraw and Rudy Ray Moore's catalog of films but uh, Pam Greer is just not only is she a great actress like Joe and uh, Connor have kind of said throughout the episode and myself she she's a badass woman she was a beautiful. She is a beautiful woman. You know, Jackie Brown, again, is always my touchstone. I, I don't know why. It's just I guess because I was a big Tarantino head back when I was in high school. Uh, now, a little less so. But that movie, just something about it. I don't know. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I know it's some of her later work. But uh, I don't know. What else can I really say about this film besides just, you know, gushing over Pam Greer? Um, just, I don't know. It just kind of comes together. The whole movie, you know, Connor, I have to agree with you on some... Uh, to some extent, where I was kind of like about the halfway point, I was into it, but I was like, okay, this is a shelf movie, but like, I don't know if I totally love it. And then like, once the the uh, once the other shoe drops, like pretty much after King George gets taken out, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what are what are we getting into? That 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 is that's weird because that's exactly what happened to me because I started to fall I started to fall out of the movie. I was like, I'm because I was kind of bummed out. Um, and it's like the pacing wasn't helping that. And then like as soon as they as soon as the King George stuff happened, like suddenly my attention was being like like it was a black hole. Like it was like being suddenly fucking not no pun intended, please. Um Sure. That's why you gotta hang in. You gotta hang in. <laughs> uh and like it start like I was like, whoa, some shit is about to fucking go down. Um and then yeah, and then from that point on, like the movie's entirely different pacing and setting and, and feel. So and, and just like that last fifteen minutes again, it's it's just like the adrenaline was pumping, I was jumping out of the f- jumping out of my seat, I was fucking getting lightheaded, I was laughing and cheering so much, like, I, I'm not making that up, I really was, like, it, it, it's just like, these these assholes getting their comeuppance is just, like, so rewarding, and, and Pam deserves it, you know, these assholes just fuck with her life, fuck with her sister, fuck with her, again, like, this guy that she was head over heels with turns out to be a total scumbag, uh, and it's just again, it's it's held, it's handled really well throughout. And I could, I can't imagine people watching this in 1973 what they were feeling. And uh, it had to, it had to really put some pep in your step, especially if you were a black or brown person, or or rather, if you are a black or brown person that saw this in 1973 with everything that was going on, especially in America at the time. Um, and it, it just, like Joe said, it kind of kicked off. Uh, something that we really should have been doing since the inception of films, and we weren't putting women in leading roles, especially in stuff like action movies, where, again, maybe I'm a little ignorant about this, I haven't done any research, but I'd have to imagine that was something that just, like Joe said, it wasn't fucking happening. There were, again, there weren't any black leads in any movies. Right, right. Other, th- I mean, there was a few, but it was like far and few between. Not in movies like this, you know what I mean? Not in like big, a- big budget action movies or anything. No, no, exactly. And uh, I, I guess the only other thing I guess I'll really say is uh, go on that journey with me. I mean, maybe not literally. I, maybe if you follow my letterbox, D, uh, <laughs> for anyone that gives a shit, it's out there somewhere. You, you can maybe follow my journey through some of these films. And I, I'm sure we'll revisit this kind of thing next year. But uh, 
take the dive because uh, I'm enjoying it. It's making me want to see more of these movies. And, and honestly, I think that's kind of the goal of this show overall. Um, shelf. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's, it's a really fun movie. It's And uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I want to add, too, that if there's people who want, like, because uh, I think I'll just start doing this more often, like contemporary examples of what you can compare this to if you liked it. Um, and I'm going to bring this up again because it brought up in the last episode. If you liked Misty Knight from Luke Cage, then uh, this kind of character is made for your tastes. It's a character very much inspired by this kind of heroine. Um, and uh, if you don't know Misty Knight but also know this, check out Luke Cage. Misty Knight gets a fucking robot arm. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she's just a great character in yeah, that. Yeah, oh, she's fucking amazing. She's my favorite part of Luke Cage. Yeah. I also just want to say, like, to Sean and to whomever else, don't ever be embarrassed if you guys haven't seen a movie. I mean, that's the point of the show uh, is to show people and maybe even each other that uh, movies that that are loved that we that we love or that we 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 want to um, kind of dust off and and show more people, get them to experience it. You know, um, you should never be ashamed of not seeing something or don't let anybody give you shit for not seeing something. You know what I mean? Get excited about it. That's what you should do. Like, like Sean, like Sean wants to go watch a bunch of these movies, and like, I wish the pandemic yeah. wasn't happening because I'd go fucking over to his house and watch it with him. Oh yeah, baby, it would be happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, we talk, we're, we're talking about film because we love it, and movies like this because we love them. Um, and you know, we wanna, we wanna share it with everybody, and you should wanna share it with everybody. And if you're into shit like this and you never saw it, you should be fucking, you should be wet for this shit. You know. <laughs> I know why. I, I mean, am. I didn't necessarily know I was for it, and I'm wet for it. That can't happen. Ben Shapiro said so. <laughs> Fuck him. Oh God. Uh, perfect example. Uh, you know, I I feel like you guys think I've seen everything. I haven't seen everything. So I, I was talking to my buddy Newt uh, the other day about fucking Son of Dracula from 1974, uh, with Harry Nilsson and Ringo Starr and John Bonham. <laughs> what and i'm like what the fuck is that and it's like a musical son of dracula uh with all of these musicians and shit that just like never got an actual video release so maybe that's something we should take a look at later possibly with him that would be that would be fun maybe i'm always finding new stuff every day and like that's half the fun you know what i mean so yeah some of those things are are things i yell at you about on on social media for uh seven months oh yeah before anything (laughs) happens (laughs) I just look. You needed to see the hug a bunch. Apparently, yeah. I needed to. <laughs> I don't think we needed to, but uh, it created some interesting moments on this show. So I'll throw you a bone on that one. The the funny thing is, I haven't found like a new movie to replace Terrified with. So like that, I just keep still making those memes on my phone. You just can't see them. <laughs> it's lost its gusto. I know. Yeah. It's I'm like I'm like after you said you watched it, I was like. Fuck, I can't. <laughs> the gimmick's over. And I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, I still bought that Blu-ray and have never watched it. Oh, yeah. It. What? Now, mm, don't tell me that because I start bombarding your Facebook wall. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll he come to your house, break your fucking ankles if you don't do it. He, he threatened me, dude. Oh, God. He's going to break my arms or something. Fucking somersault through your window with a poster just says, watch Terrified. <laughs> just fucking run away. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to say anything else? Do we want to add anything else? I, I think I think we're good. I mean, I think we said just about all we can say about the lovely, 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 <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely Pam Greer. And um, I think I oh I, I forgot one thing in the beginning. Uh, she's working on a biopic. 
from her memoirs, so definitely keep an eye out for that. I believe she's been working on it since 2018, and it might be out. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, nice. Well, that's excellent. There's other biopics coming out that uh, are coming from different sources that I'm like, maybe not such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So, yeah, we got one more uh, uh, black exploitation film coming up for you. We got the uh, the almighty Count Blackula is joining us. Stay tuned for that. We got some other stuff cooking up. We're going to be having a, a book to the movie. We got a, we got a talks from the dark side. And we got a uh, stay tuned for that uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D commentary track. It's going to be a good one. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So. That's your little Valentine's Day fix for you this month as well. Absolutely. And we always appreciate uh, our patrons, especially for supporting the show. And we love to shout them out. So we'd like to give a shout out to Hunter Davenport, Brennan Lemune, The Autistic Gamer 89, Christopher, Jacob Chavez, Leonardo, Roberto Talavera Barocio, Gorlami, Large, Cream and Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer mine black, but okay. Yeah, me too. I'll take it black. Uh, Amanda Tweed. Joe has a mustache. Dustin Elkins, Nick Lowry, Dalton Bell, Serge Murillo, Matt Collins, Lucio Fulci's butt, Julia Lockwood, Kyle McDonald, Nicholas Walters, Justin Kiefer, Daniel Perhaps, Jacob Fonsbeck, Patrick Farmer, Tony from Hack the Movies, C.B. Smith, Arlen Haro, and John. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, for nothing at all, it helps the show a lot. Leave us that five-star review. And, hey, write us one if you got the time and you and you feel like uh, doing a little extra work for us because it really does help us get out of the bottom of the dumpster and into more eardrums. It's a sweet, sweet, sweet thing. Leave that five-star review. We love you. So that's it. That's Coffee from 1973, directed by Jack Hill. If you want some more good, bad, and god-awful movie goodness, head over to moviedumpsterpodcast.com and follow us on all of your favorite social media and streaming platforms. You can also head on over to our Patreon page and sign up for the 2 5 or $10 tiers for monthly exclusive content, or drop by our merch store and grab yourself uh, some non-committal swag. Yeah, and for no money at all, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to support your favorite show. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor from Crack the Films McGraw. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Thanks for visiting the dumpster. Shit. Come on now. Look, I ain't gonna shoot you. Please. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. I'll pay you anything. A million dollars. Whatever you want. Okay, a million dollars. You got a deal. I won't kill you. It's your friend Brunswick I want anyway. Where is he? He left. He went to his house at the beach. Yeah. I know the place. Thanks. That's a present for my little sister. And a nice cop named Carter. <laughs>